Welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2022 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me, as he does every week, is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? I'm exhausted, man. <laughs> I'm exhausted by all the Panthers draft talk. You know, here we are, what, four days out from the draft? Yeah. Four or five days. You know, this is Sunday, you know, so Thursday night, it all um, it all begins for for us in terms of what we're going to do, you know, this year. And there's a lot of question marks around the number six pick. And if you're on Twitter, you know, Facebook or wherever you follow Panthers news, every day there's drama around what the Panthers should do. You know, should we pick a quarterback? You know, all the NFL um, media networks are talking about Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, you know, the state of the Panthers. Everybody knows we need a left tackle. You know, it's, it's, it's something new every day, but there's a lot of recycled names. And honestly, I'm just at a point, even though I'm part of the problem, <laughs> you know, we're talking about it so much. Uh, I'm just at a point where I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to find out, you know, what happens. And and I try to remain open, you know, to any alternative um, as long as I believe it makes the Panthers better. So if you've been following us, every week we, you know, enter the episode with a, with a target of a position group or two. And... Now we're last, you know, we, we, we're finally at the point where we have three position groups that we can focus on. And that's the left tackle group, that's the quarterback group, and that's the edge group. And we normally do it in, in, in terms of what we think is the priority for the Panthers. But this week we're going to do it a little bit different because if you've been following us, if you've been following all the, the, the mock drafts, you know who the top names are. So now it's about what should the Panthers actually do at six. And so for that part, I'm going to let Vince take over and kind of walk us through, you know, what we should do. So, yeah, I think the way to think about this is because the Panthers have one pick that is so much more valuable than all their other draft assets. Like what they do in the draft is really going to be dictated by what they do at six. Um, And, you know, we can talk about what they could do at edge rusher and offensive tackle and quarterback. And I think these are the Panthers' three biggest needs. But ultimately, if they want to address it in a focused way, it either has to be at six or by what they do with the sixth pick. Like, you know, if, if, if you want to draft an edge rusher to replace a song ready, you can't wait to that 137th pick and expect there to be a guy there who can do that. Same with left tackle or quarterback. If, you, if these are really positions that you want to prioritize, you have to do it before then. Um, particularly in terms of starters. So what they do with that sixth pick is going to dictate what they can do at all three positions effectively. Um, and so I think, at least from my perspective, there are sort of five options with that fifth, with that sixth pick. Um, either they can trade up, they can trade down, they can take a quarterback, they can take an offensive tackle, or they can take something else. And when I say something else, that pretty much means edge rusher. This, this is the... 
the way uh, th- those are the options and the way I think about it is essentially I think the odds of them trading up are pretty much zero um, partly I'm not sure who they trade up for but also I don't know what they trade up with um, right. so unless they're going to drag like 2023 20, assets in they have nothing to move up from six really they'd have to put in future first or second so I think we can eliminate that one fairly easily. And so then it comes down to, is there going to be someone they really want to draft at six that will make them stay at six? Are they going to be able to move out from six? And if there's not someone they love and they can't move out, what happens then? So I think in terms of, you know, as you mentioned, the things they'd really like to do, I think, is left tackle or quarterback. And everything around the Panthers draft this year has been left tackle or quarterback. Right. I think you then actually have to start looking at prospects. <laughs> And I think there are three guys at each position who have been linked with the sixth pick in some way. Yes. Um, for me, I'm not going to say this up front, but I will talk a little bit about why in a second. I don't think any of them are players who the Panthers should turn down a good trade option for. Like, I, I don't think there is any one player who is so good that you pass up a bunch of picks for. Let me, let me jump in right there. If Evan Neal, who Panthers fans love, is at six, you're saying that they shouldn't pick Evan Neal at six? Yeah, I, I wouldn't pick Evan Neal at six. I, I, yeah. if, so if we're going to talk about, so should we start at left tackle? Because that, 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 that's then a way into left tackle. Evan yes, Neal, yeah, Evan, yeah. for me, and we'll talk a little bit about the, sort of the, the, the latter bits of this later. For me, Evan Neal is distinctly the third tackle, and there is quite a gap between second and third. Woo, that's that's hot. Like I, I, so you're I saying, you say, hold on, let me let me clarify. You're saying that of the top three tackles that everyone's talking about, that's Neil, Equinu, and Cross. Yeah, he's third. Yeah, and there's a big difference between second and third. Yeah, it's not in, it's not like a, a huge gulf, but like for me, there are sort of 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 guys who are going to go in the top, or, or you should consider in the top fifty picks. Yes. There are like three distinct bands of offensive tackle. Okay. Of like the of like the genuinely very good prospect, he is in the middle of those bands. Wow. Um and I don't think that makes yeah, he didn't want Evan Neal is probably the most pro-ready tackle in this draft. If you yes. want a guy to walk out there week one and play left tackle and be a decent to good left tackle, I think Evan Neal is your best chance. Yes. I, I'm and I think he is a good prospect. I should stress that now. Right. I just think the odds of him becoming a genuinely very good to excellent left tackle are pretty low. I, I, th- I think he, he is a, a really good... Like, we had this conversation before we started recording, but I think he's not that different to Taylor Moten, but a bit better. Like, oh. I, 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 I think he can be a good pass protector, but if you stick him one-on-one with Brian Burns, in all, like, if it's third and seven, the game's on the line, he's in one-on-one with a speed rusher. Who has decent inside moves? I think he is vulnerable. Like I think he, his stance as a pass protector, um, he loads weight backwards quite badly, and he has this tendency to to like um, to lean in when he drives. Like yeah. he he, and I think every other tackle in this draft also has technical flaws they need to work around. Right. I just think his are more fundamental issues of him as a physical being. Like I I. I his, it's less technique and more just a little bit of not quite having the the a mixture of the agility and the lower body flexibility to really address that. 
And it's one of those things where it, if you're playing for Alabama, the number of times where you're in like third and seven consistently against elite pass rushers are pretty small because you're generally ahead of the chains. And he's a good, really, really good run blocker. And he is a good enough pass protector. Like, I think he will be a long time left tackle in the NFL. But yes. I don't think he'll be a long time top 10 left tackle, top 10 left tackle in the NFL, if that makes sense. That does and, make sense. And, and, it, and if you took him at six, like, I don't think it's like, this is a disaster. Stop pulling your hair out and burning pamphlets for legs. <laughs> I think it's more just like, I think you'd look not as similar to with the Derek Brown pick, particularly. You, yeah. you, know, you, you look back and you sort of think it wasn't an awful pick but that was probably more of a reach for short-term need than a genuine assessment of who was the best player. If that makes sense. I can respect that. Yeah, no, I I totally respect that. I actually tweeted something akin to that a day or two ago. And I was talking about um, Charles Cross, I believe. Yeah. And, And every time I see footage of Cross, every time I see somebody do like a, a film cut up, and I hear people that I respect talk about Charles Cross, you know, and, and what he did at Mississippi State. I start convincing myself that he might be the top tackle. I don't know who your top tackle is. We so haven't I, talked about that. I, I have Equanu then Cross, but they are both. Then okay. there's not there's a much smaller gap between those two than there is between those two and Neil. That makes sense. Okay, and so the reason I the reason I got to you know to Cross being you know number one. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm two, I'm stuck between those two guys, right? You know, so I have Cross and then I have Icky and then it's Neil. Earlier in this process, when we started talking about tackle prospects, you know, everybody was talking about Neil. So I kind of like drank that Kool-Aid too. And I believe like he was just the clear number one that everybody would be interested in. So I started following all the boards and all the mocks who early on were saying that Neil was going number one to Jacksonville, right? He still might, to be fair. He, he still might, you know, but I think when I started like, you know, like researching these guys, studying them, you know, just getting every little tidbit of information I could, um, I I started realizing that Neil, you know, he played multiple positions across Alabama's line across the years, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, as last year he was actually a right tackle. Yeah, and they had um, the guy who the Raiders took. Leatherwood, yeah. yeah. So Leatherwood was their left. And then it started making sense to me. I was like, that is right. If they had Leatherwood and Leatherwood, you know, was the top tackle prospect coming out of Bama then, then that means that Neil really has only played left tackle exclusively for this year. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, I, I would I would point out that just because someone played right does not mean they're not the better tackle. Like Tristan Wirfs was definitely the best tackle at Iowa when he was playing right tackle there, like by a long way. Yeah. yeah. And, Ju- and Juwan James was definitely the best tackle at uh, Tennessee when yeah. he was the right tackle there. So... Yeah. Like there are cases where college teams have like the far better prospect on the right side than the left side. Yes. Um, and I think don't wrong, Evan Neal is a better tackle than Alex Leatherwood was. Right. Um, but I, I I don't think he is this just clear elite, always been the guy left tackle prospect that he's somehow being portrayed as. And and that's where that's where I'm at too. You know, it, it's like it's like how soon do we forget? And it's not you know, like you said, it's not because he played right tackle at Alabama. I think they even said he played a little guard, you know, in his, in his tenure there. Um, it's not that I'm taking anything away from him because, you know, he played right tackle last year and this year he's playing left. It's just that I get kind of sucked into these guys who who've kind of focused on the position 
um, that they're in and, and, and seeing crosses being, you know, he's been, he was, you know, recruited out of high school is that, you know, um, I know he didn't really, you know, show well early on, you know, at Mississippi State, but when they got the new coach there and they featured him, you know, in that role and, you know, yeah. it, it, it kind of like highlighted what he could do well, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that that for him is one of the, is probably the big question mark is that he was in a very unique offensive setup. Not with not it's not that unique in college football anymore, but like he is not going to be used that same way in college football, and uh, that he was in college football in the NFL. Um, and I think he you know that there are a couple of things he needs to work on. Like he needs to bend his knees more. I think he's still too vulnerable. Basically, he he's used to only short setting because Mississippi State's only short step. And I think he can deep set effectively, but he will need to work on some things technically to be as effective with a deeper set. Because basically at the moment, what he does is he sets very shallow, forcing defenders wide, and then can just, you know, the ball's coming out in like two seconds. So Because of how they play, yeah. Because of how they play, like he's not having to protect for four or five seconds at a time. And I think it's one of those things where his vulnerability will be not that he can't cover those deeper sets, but that he'll have to bend his knees and open his hips more so that he's more, his weight is less loaded backwards. Because at the moment, the, the issue you get is if you're short, if you, if you try and deep set by just short setting faster, you end up creating a vulnerability inside because your weight loads backwards and you don't have the ability to, to, to sort of open and go either way. Um, so he, he has a tendency to let his weight get quite high and he basically loads onto that back leg because if a guy goes inside of him, he just wants to be able to drive at him. Yeah. Um, whereas the issue is if you do that and you have to go further backwards, that weight loads more and more to the point where you actually can't drive. Because to drive off your back leg, you need to have some weight loaded onto it. Yes. But if you keep waiting, if you load all your weight onto your back leg, you just have no power to drive with because all the power is being used to stop you from falling over. Yeah. Um, and so I think he will need to actually like bend his knees and open his hips a bit more. Um, now let me ask you this question, you know, based on what you're describing, the only thing that is going across the ticker in my mind is what does that look like in a play action? I think there is a fair degree of projection there. Um, I, I do think he is someone who you would have to be, I mean, don't wrong, all of the tackle prospects in this year's draft have things they need to work on. Yeah. Um, I just think that his are more about technique than they are um, like fundamental athletic limitations. Okay. Um, and, and they are relatively minor technique stuff. Like it's not, you know, there's a guy we'll talk about later who I really like, but there are some players in this draft who are just like great athletes who need almost complete rebuilding technically. Yeah. Um, he's not that. He's a pretty good technician who needs some refinement. And the same yeah. is true of Ekwanu. Like Ekwanu's Footwork is better, um, but I think Iguanu has a tendency to like drop his hands. Um, so when you see him pass there, he almost lets his hands drop to his knees, yes. um, and it means that he then is like late to react with his hands, which can either lead him getting um, his you know, his chest grabbed, therefore putting him at risk with the power, or yeah. what often ends up happening is that he then almost like has to scramble and dive at guys with his hands, which twists, like he. He has a tendency to like uh, to actually puncture there because he's punching yeah. late. Because rather than punching with his hands in front of his chest, he's punching with his hands by his side. So yes. that extra time it takes to raise and punch leads to him punching yeah. it there. So I yeah. think he he really needs to work on that. But that is 
that should be fairly straightforward because that is just a matter of how you position your arms. It's not that he doesn't have the coordination or the arm length or the strength. It's just like you need to have the discipline that you don't let your arms drop off the snap. That just right. it's just that like posture and discipline of posture. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think all of them could but like there is no one tackle in this class who I'd like bet lots of money to be a top ten tackle prospect. Yeah. Uh, like a top ten tackle in the NFL in five years' time. But I think Equano and Cross need more refinement in bits of their technique, whereas I think Neil and some of the others need more, either need a lot of work, or in the case of Neil, I think ultimately just don't quite have that same flexibility and agility to really be that top tier pass protector that I think Equanu and Cross can both be. Yeah, I think when it comes to Neil compared to the other two, and a lot of this, I mean, I've seen Alabama play a lot, but, you know, it's hard to, to gauge anything when you watch them play because they always have so much talent on the field. Yeah. Um, you know, but but with Neil, I think a lot of the the hype around him has always been just his his the way he looks. He's a very large man. Yeah, he's just a he's a very large man and he's not and, and it's and it's really kind of freakishly proportionate. You know, yeah. to, you know, for being that big. And so when people see a prospect that looks that big, you know, this is football. You know, football is a lot about the eye test and and he passes it, you know, with you know, with like flying colors compared to like anybody else who, who played that position. And so I think people get enamored with that. And because of that, you know, he's at the top of most people's left tackle board. But like I said, you know, when I when I've gone through and I watch, you know, them actually play and what they look like on the field, it's always been um, icky and 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 it wasn't cross at first, but cross kind of start leapfrogging these guys for me. And like right now, I'm just kind of you know stuck right there thinking that he could be, you know, number one. And um, like you say, you know, you have him and icky pretty close. And I, you know, for me, my only question for cross, you know, was with whatever this McAdoo offense is going to look like, yeah, like does, I, he, does he fit that? I, I think Cross is the least good fit with the Panthers of those right. three. Like, I think start, yeah. at least in the – but again, there's also a bit of, like – I'll make this point again. I think I made it last week. But, like, if you're playing left tackle, if you're a really good pass protector at left tackle, you can kind of just play in whatever blocking scheme you want. Like, it, yeah. it's – if you know if, if no one is going to pass up an elite pass protecting left tackle because they're not the best run blocking fit, like or, or, or sorry, if they do, they should not be an offensive coordinator or head coach or GM at the NFL level. Like right. you, you have to understand that that bit of value is so much more important than a slight stylistic change because ultimately you can always, unless a guy is a complete disaster, which they, which these are the things like like good pass protection relies on technique that even if it doesn't make you an excellent run blocker. It's very rare that you get someone who is an elite pass protector and an actively bad run blocker. They can right. they're generally at least just like competent. Right. Um, and if you've got a competent left, like, you know, if you're competent as a run blocker and excellent as a pass protector, that is way more valuable than anything you could do as a run blocker. Like run blocking is important, but ultimately pass protection is what wins and loses games in the NFL. Yeah. Um, Especially and- this NFL. Yeah, yeah. You know, twenty years ago it was different, but but right. like right right now, you want elite pass protectors, and if they can run block well, that's great. But if they can just run block decently, then you can you can scheme around that. The, yeah. the same stuff that makes running backs less valuable now than they were twenty five years ago 
makes good run blockers less valuable now than they were 25 years ago. It's the reason that, you know, Andrew Whitworth was allowed, you know, to to be starting, you know, for a Super Bowl team at 40 years old. Yeah. You know, because he's still a good pass protector. Yeah, and, 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 he's, a, and he's a technically sound run blocker, even if he's not going to drive you off the ball. Right, right. And so, you know, like the league is shifting. And so that's why I was like, you know, well, you know, it seems like Cross would be, you know, that type of guy, you know, like really good pass protector, might be an okay run blocker. You know, I've heard a lot of hype around his athletic ability and his ability to run block, just didn't get to see it a lot. Um, But, you know, when I think about the NFL and where we are, if I understood who we were offensively, I would be able to say, He's number one, you know, if, if I knew that we were, you know, in the same vein of where the NFL is going, I just don't know what McAdoo and Rule has in mind for what this offense is going to look like. We don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. You yeah. know, we don't know what the scheme actually looks like. You know what? It's been, uh, yeah. it's been like six years since McAdoo has actually called plays. Yeah, no, I know I agree. But ultimately, I think you draft left tackles because of their talent, not because of their scheme fit. I think no, like, no, when, when, when you get to the interior, then scheme fit, it starts to make a significant impact. But at left tackle, you, you, you just draft the best guy. and you it's, it's a bit like with what they put on defense. You just draft the talented guy and you work out the scheme fit from there kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm with that. So, I mean, that's, you know, we we went to the tackles first, you know, and, and everybody – knows that the top tackles are Neil, Equinu, Cross, or Equinu, Cross, Neil. Um, just depends on, you know, what you value and how you see these guys. I mean, it's, it's kind of refreshing for you to come on here and say that Neil is number three. Because yeah, I, I, think I was I, actually thinking that. I, I, I would stress again, I don't think any of these guys are so amazing that they are like, you know, if you were looking at like offensive tackle prospects from the last like five years, none of these guys are getting in the top three or four. Like that, that none of these guys are those kind of really elite tackle prospects. These are, yeah. these are the these guys are the step behind that. Um, How would you? I mean, I, I won't say Slater because everybody knows that Slater is actually really really good now, right? Slater was better than all three of these guys. Yeah, I, it, but but let me. I was going to compare the other guy, um, Sewell. You know, like where would Sewell rate against these guys? Person, I mean, I wasn't the biggest Sewell fan, so that I'm maybe not the best judge of that. But I'd I remember, have, yeah, I, remember. I would have Sewell more in the Neil tier. Okay. Um, again, I think Sewell is a bit different, though. He's Sewell was more of the he was a he was a really really talented good athlete who needed quite a bit of technique work. Yeah. Um, whereas I think Neil is more of the he is a very good athlete and he does. Is a pretty good. He's a Neil is a is a is a different prospect in terms of what he does well and badly and what his strengths and limitations are. But I think overall grade wise, I'd probably have them in a similar kind of tier. They'd be pretty close. But you would have Equinu over Sewell right now. Yeah, uh, I could see. I think Sewell's upside is bigger than Equinu's upside. But I think Sewell was really quite a technically raw prospect, whereas Equinu is a guy who needs some technical refinement. But but I would have I, I would have um, uh, Slater over all of them. And I remember, I mean, I mean if, if anybody wanted to go back to, you know, last season of Scouting the Culture, you know, we, we did talk about Slater a lot. And, and Vincent's right. He had Slater above Sewell last year. And and it was for that reason. You just felt like Sewell was just a better technician. And he was yeah. more polished and ready. Um, 
but, but crucially, I, Slater is also not in the same tier. Like, there, there's even a tier above that, which is guys like Tristan Wirfs and Laramie Tunsil, who were like just plug and play elite week one tackles. Yes. I mean, yeah. Tristan Wirfs was probably playing at an all pro level halfway through his rookie season. Like, right. you know, Slater was a very good tackle last year, but ultimately is not that guy. And I don't think anyone in this draft is even Slater level. Like, I think you're. This is a draft that is dominated by like very good prospects rather than elite, elite. prospects. If that makes sense, I've, I've seen that. No, I've seen that. You know, like every year, I go through different you know platforms, you know, to to figure out like who the players are or how the NFL sees them. And you know, one of the things I go to is NFL.com just to you know go to the combine. Like after combine, I like to go and see like how they project these players to to be and compare that you know, to pass drafts and where the guys actually ended up in terms of, like it might say something like projected to be an all pro or, you know, a pro bowler or um, a year two starter or something like that. And then you kind of go back and see like, well, no, how close were they in terms of how they projected the guy? And so usually at the top of the draft, you have a guy that's like projected to be like a pro bowl type guy, Um, you know, or, you know, all pro type guys like J.J. Watt you know, just yeah. these freakish level guys. But I don't think there's one guy that's like that this year. You know, no. yeah. And, and when, I, when I go and look at all the guys, I think like the the highest projected guy, um, it isn't one of these three. You know, so I think no, it's, no. I forget who it was specifically, but it may have been like Kyle Hamilton. Um, it was somebody like that who they felt like it just would be, you know, like a really, 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 really good player. But elite, I haven't seen. Yeah, the only player who really gets in that category for me is Chad Moomer, that linebacker. Um, I know, and, 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 that, and not a lot of people see that yet, so we, I'm, I'm still eager to... And, to and I say that, that reckon, and I think the issue is then, I mean, like, it, it, one of the issues with doing these sort of like projections and stuff is that ultimately off-ball linebacker is not as valuable a position as left tackle or quarterback. So right. I'm still not sure how, exactly where I would take Moomer, but I, I think he is one or maybe one or two of the only prospects in this draft who you would say if you take all the prospects in that position for the last five years, who is genuinely in the discussion to be the best? Like he, he is genuinely in the conversation to be the best linebacker prospect in the last five years. And I'm not sure there's any player at any other position who's in that category this draft. That's crazy, man. And it's crazy. I think it's crazy to me because of the hype he's not getting, you know, for you to feel that high about him. Again, I don't have enough time with him to know that he's that, you know, but, but I know that other people have said similar things. But, but crucially, if, 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 if you look at, you know, there are what, say, 10 position groups in the NFL, roughly. Um, yeah. Over a five-year period, each year, there should be one or two guys who are in that, conf- or probably if you're doing it at the top, like to be in that conversation, there should be a handful of guys every year who are in the conversation to be the best prospect of their position over a given five-year period. And right. this year, there just aren't those guys. Mm. Like, you know, there are some, you know, last year, there were a few, you know, you had like Fields and Lawrence and you had... Uh, uh, certain and Horn at corner, and you had some really good. You know, you had a receiver, um, you know, uh, Jamar Chase and uh, Devonta yeah, Smith. Chase, and, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I really like Richard Bateman as well. Whereas this year, I think Alec Pierce at receiver is really good, um, and I think Moomer is a is a really excellent linebacker. But there's just a lot of guys in that next like very good prospect here, yeah. um, and I think the same is true of tackle. Like Equanu is my I think fourth or fifth overall prospect, something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's my my uh, fifth overall prospect, and Cross is my eleventh. Uh, okay. Um, 
and I don't think either are guys who that you will, you know, if you take them sick overall, I don't think either of them are like, yeah, we absolutely knocked it out of the park this year. You'd be like, right. yeah, that's a good pick. That's all right. Yeah. yeah, we feel the need. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if, yeah, they, they, they're very good prospects. They're not generational ones. All right, so I mean, but, you know, we began this with you saying none of these guys are guys that we should pick at six. If... Or, or, or not that they're not, yeah, they're, they're players who I think you could take at six and you wouldn't yeah. beat yourself up about it. But I don't think these any of these guys are somebody who you would forego a sort of treasure of picks for. If someone comes yeah. up and offers you a first, you know, three seconds and a third for Equanu, I think you take that. Okay, I mean, that's what I meant. I want Let me clarify that. You didn't say that we shouldn't take them at six. We're comparing taking them at six to the opportunity to trade back and get yeah. more picks. And so if you have the opportunity to, to trade back, get more picks, or take one of these guys at six, you're saying that you would take the trade back opportunity oh, yeah. over either of these guys that we yeah. just talked about. Yeah, assuming the trade is vaguely like in line with what you'd expect to get, like you know, I wouldn't trade back to thirty-two for a fourth rounder kind of thing. Like you know, there yeah. is obviously a balance, but like yeah. if someone put a competitive offer in, yeah. um, I I think I would be there. I think the Panthers probably would be as well. Like I'm not saying this is like the Panthers haven't thought of this. I think it's clear the Panthers would ideally like to trade down. Yeah. I think what is not clear yet is whether someone is actually going to offer them that kind of trade. No, I, I agree with that. You know, I even I see any people, you know, they they even mentioned the Saints moving up to get one of these guys, you know, because now they hold, I think, the 16th and the 19th pick. Yeah, something like the, yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, it's like one of them things, man. Like I I wouldn't hate it, you know. Oh no, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't hate it if it wasn't the Saints, and even if it is the Saints, it's like, I know we still could get a lot better by doing that. I don't see it happening just for the fact that it is the Saints. I, um, yeah. I don't see I think, anything intra-division happening like that. I think the thing is, if you think your board is set properly, if you are content with how you have set your board, why not? If you think someone is giving you, if, if you think someone is going to be worse off for trading up and taking the guy six than picking those two players, you think you're making, you know, if you think you're going to get extra value by trading back, Almost by definition, you think the team you're trading with is making a mistake. You should want your divisional rivals to make a mistake. Like, no, I know. I just, like, I want, I, I think I want a little bit more from them, though. And I don't know why. I mean, maybe that's enough. Maybe 16 and 19 is enough. But I want to do something. And I think you taught me this. I think I want to do something to actually like triple them a little more. You know, like give me something else. Like, you know, throw in something else. So, you know, like even if you hit, and like, you know, like say it's Icky, you know, and, and he, you know, ends up being like the top five left tackle, you know, for the next 15 years. And then I want to feel like, you know, to, in order for you to get that guy, like, you know, you weren't able to do a whole lot of other things. But I mean, but it may not matter at that point, you know, because, you know, he could have been the, 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 the answer to all your problems, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I just I don't I don't think about doing intra-division trades just because, you know, most people don't do them, you know? And, and so when I see, you know, us giving the Saints the opportunity to get better at a position that I think I would like to get better at myself, then, and I don't know, it kind of bothers me. I get the logic, you know, because I, you know, you know this, you know, when, last year we were really open to trading back. Yes. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big 
get all the picks you 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 can type of guy. Um, I you know I I've been approaching it from a different perspective. You know, for the last couple of years, I've been all in on trying to trade you know, guys that are on the team with a lot of value, you know, and see if we can acquire more picks that way. But, you know, the Panthers just do a lot of restructures and extensions that work against my methodology. And so, like, it leaves us in a position to where we have to, like, look at the, the draft pick itself and say, okay, we need to move back, you know, off of that pick. And, and this year is worse than last year because this year we only have one pick in the first two days. And so it's like, it's pick six, like, hit an absolute home run i think that's the thing is, is if, if where the panthers are this year if they're going to take someone at six unless there's just no trades available and they just they cannot move out of it and they just have to take a guy there yeah if there are trades on the table for you to justify not taking them you have to absolutely knock it out the park yes and i think and that is a, a a huge amount of pressure to put on one pick no, if, the guy, right. if the guy tears his acl in the first week of a preseason yeah, it, 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 you're putting all of your eggs in one basket, and I just think that is a. I mean, what we can talk about it when we get to sort of later on the, the podcast, but like even at tackle, I think those are three, if not the three best tackles, then they are three of the top four tackles in this draft. Yeah, um, I think you do better to just take two guys who are slightly less good. You know, if you if you trade from pick six to pick thirty six, the decrease in probability of hitting on a left tackle is massively overcompensated for the extra picks you get for the Panthers. I mean, and, and like my logical mind agrees, like wholeheartedly, like Vincent, preach. Yes, amen. I get it. Yep, that makes sense. You are smart. We are smart if we do that. But I'm so tired, you know, of Panthers fans, of being a fan, knowing that we need a left tackle and I would just hate for all the, I don't know, like just the the complaining, you know, that would that would occur, if, you know, if we pass on another left tackle this year, and we don't get it right, Christensen isn't it, and you know we just can't figure it out, and one of these guys are available and we pass up on them, and it's like, see, we're so stupid, we didn't get a left tackle again, you know, in 2021 it was Slater. In 2022, it was Icky, Cross, Anil, and now these guys are pro bowlers in their rookie year. And, and I'm like, oh, God, like, why didn't we just pick them? You know, like, I mean, I know we got two good players because we didn't get that guy. But it, all anybody's focused on is the fact we don't have a left tackle still. And I don't know so, so that I, happens that way. It's just, I, I think there's kind of two conversations there. Um, and I think this is something that always comes back to. I think the... If you look at, like, so Scott Fitcher obviously came from Seattle, and you look at what Seattle's done over the past five years, yeah. they've been really, really good at trading down. They've massively done that. They've, they've, time and time again, they have done the right thing and got extra value by trading down. Yeah. What they haven't done is been any good at selecting players. Right. So, they, they, but, they, they look good on the board, but not in actually picking. But, but, that's, but the thing is, is they are two different skill sets. And so I think they are two completely different problems. If, you're, if your team is making the right trades but selecting the wrong players, what makes you think they'd select the right players if they kept the higher picks? <laughs> like, like being bad at evaluating talent and being bad at valuing draft picks are different things. And so I'm not saying the Panthers are... have more opportunities to pick, right? That's what yeah, you're but, saying? I mean, I mean, that's the thing. You know, if, if, 
if, if, if you are selecting badly, like it's not that there weren't good players on the board when Seattle picked, it's just they didn't pick them. They just yeah. ultimately were not good at evaluating players or right. have not been good at evaluating players. Right. But that is different from valuing draft picks. And ultimately, yeah. what is the right thing to do in one regard does not necessarily correlate with the end results. And so Seattle has... It, it, the, I think the assumption would be is, given how bad Seattle has been at evaluating draft prospects, if they hadn't traded down, they would be even worse. Yes. That the, the, they've only been able to hit on the guys they have done, like DK Metcalf and others, because they've had so many swings at. Yeah. Like, and I think this is the thing is that, that you know, obviously what you want to be is good at both. Right. And, and crucially, being good at the second part makes it easier to do the first part. Because if you really are good at evaluating prospects, you're much more confident in saying, I genuinely don't think the player is right for this pick. Like, right. if you are really confident in your evaluations, and ultimately, you know, I'm evaluating off tape, I don't get interviews and all that kind of stuff. So the, you know, I cannot claim to have this level of confidence. But if you were really, really confident in your evaluation, you're like, no, the guy on the board just is not as good as other people think he is. Like, we are, we are dead sold that, you know, you know, Neil is just not someone you should take with a sixth pick and someone offers you a fortune for Neil. It makes it yeah. much easier to make those decisions because you're confident in your assessment of what is there. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think Scott Fitzgerald showed last year that he was good at manual draft picks. You know, yeah. The trades they made were good trades. Right. What they haven't necessarily shown is that they can evaluate prospects. You know, and, that's I think, what, I mean, and, and that's what concerns me. But I mean, I do know and I think it was based on last week's episode when we talked about interior offensive line. It really, it got me in the in the mind frame of if we move back, like there's some some good prospects that we can take there, you know, and and still feel like we won. And so, like I'm I'm okay with it ultimately. Like you know, let me just make that clear. I'm okay with trading back. I'm always okay with acquiring more picks. That's just how I'm built. Again, I just want to make sure that if we do, you know, thing one, which is trade back, that we can actually be a little bit better at thing two, which is, yeah, actually no, I it, you know, and so, but, you know, but let's, let's go ahead and wrap that up about the tackles, right? You know, we, we have yeah. three good tackle prospects. And I think, you know, whether it's Equinu and Cross and Neil or it's Cross, Equinu and Neil, See, so, and yeah. agree that that's the top three. And if the Panthers uh, pick one of those guys, you know, it would be okay. We would have satisfied the need. It would just be that if they did that, they would have to be so sure that that guy is their guy to where it justifies that we won't do anything else until day three. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think Equino and Cross are definitely a class apart. Um, okay. I think Neil, there are some other prospects who you can genuinely have a conversation about whether Neil is three or four. Um, okay. But I think Equino and Cross are definitely the top two guys. Right. Um, so I'm cool with that, but I want to transition for a minute. Yeah, I want to yeah. transition to to the other position that's being coveted and the one that you hear yeah. NFL pundits talk the most about when it comes to the Panthers. And that's yeah. the quarterback position. I mean, we're talking about these left tackle prospects because the Panthers have needed a left tackle for about 10 years, right? And so like a consistent left tackle, somebody that they can depend on. Ever since Jordan Gross retired, we needed a left tackle. So it's been almost, what, nine years since that happened? Yeah. And, so, and so, so we need that. The fan base knows that. But then it's the NFL media who's more focused on Matt Rule. And yeah. if 
he's going to be the, the coach of the Panthers and the mess that we have right now. And for the media's perspective, from the media's perspective, and probably, you know, the fan base at large too, everybody wants a quarterback. Yeah. And, and most of the talk around the Panthers have been the, you know, the talk around Kenny Pickett from what I've seen and heard and read because of his affiliation to Matt Rule, who recruited him while he was coaching at Temple. He had committed to Temple, but I think either Matt Rule took the job at Baylor and he decommitted and went to Pitt or however. Yeah, I think that, I think that was how it worked. Yeah. yeah, I think that's how it worked. And so, but then he went to Pitt, which created a second affiliation with the current owner of the, the Panthers, who's a Pitt alum. And so now you have like these two um, affiliation stories and narratives that the NFL has been running with when it comes to, um, you know, the quarterback position in the Carolina Panthers and the guy that they deem as most ready in Kenny Pickett. And, and so, so the quarterback, you know, position has been the focus for the Panthers and, and it's got the Panthers in a little, in the fans, I should say, and a little tissy, you know, almost every day because you know, of that talk. If, we, if we're looking at the news, if we're looking at Good Morning Football, if we're looking at um, NFL, ESPN, or whatever it is, you know, it's like, hey, look, you know, the pick for the Carolina Panthers is, is Kenny Pickett. And you're like, okay, man, good Lord. You know, like, let's stop talking about this already. Like, at, at number six, like, it just it, feels insane. Um, and so, they, you know... It, if they take Kenny Pickett at six, I think you can start getting the pitchforks out. Like, I think that is, <laughs> that, like, uh, I, of, of the, like, to, I would be a little bit disappointed if they took Evan Neal at six. Like, I don't think, I think, I don't think, I think he's a top 20 prospect, not a top five prospect. Um, I, Kenny Pickett is not a top 50 prospect. Like, I, I do not see it with Kenny Pickett. I'll be honest, I don't see it with any of the quarterbacks, really. I think Ritter, for me, is the number one. Um, and I right. still don't love Ritter. Like, I, I, I would also... I, I can understand the argument for Kenny Pickett, which is, like, of all the guys, he is probably the only one that I think it would be reasonable to expect to start week one. Or, like, have, like for him to start week one not being a massive projection, like, Ritter, Willis, Coral, Howell, whoever else is a project. Yeah. Um, and Pickett isn't, but Pickett just does not have the upside. There just isn't any, like, you know, there was a quote that's been circling, I think it was a, an NFC offensive coordinator um, saying he has uh, you know, no upside effectively. And it, right. you know, it isn't that he has no upside, but, you know, Mac Jones, there was there were sort of things about like, Mac Jones last year, who I think was my number four quarterback last year. Yeah. And there yeah. was, you know, the arguments against Mac Jones was that he doesn't have an elite arm. And his processing, whilst good, it's really hard to, to trust that that will always translate. And I yeah. think for me, the thing was like, you know, I think Matt Jones will be a perfectly good quarterback. I think for him to enter the top 10 tier, he will have to show the kind of stuff that I don't think it's fair to project. Right. Whereas Pickett has a less good arm and has nowhere near as promising mental traits. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like Kenny Pickett is not Mac Jones. Matt right. Jones was a much better. No, Matt Jones was a better prospect than any quarterback prospect in this draft. Personally, like I don't. Ritter is my number one quarterback, and he would have been my number five quarterback last year. Like, like this is just not a good quarterback class. The crazy part is, I think Ritter. Honestly, I think I had Ritter around like my number five quarterback last year. Yeah, you know? I think I, I think he would be in the same. 
like for me, like Fields and Lawrence were just a class apart. And then it was yes. like Kellen Mond, Mac Jones. And I yes. think Ridder would have been in that same kind of conversation of like probably mid to late first round kind of talent. Um, right. Which is where Mac Jones went and where I think was a perfectly reasonable place to take him. Um, I think Ridder is a real development guy though. I think there is footwork stuff that needs doing. I think he still needs to work on some of his processing. I think the yeah. increased speed of the NFL game will be a challenge for him initially. But I right. think he has got a really good arm. I think he's really mobile. Um, and I think he shows good enough decision-making that it's not just a complete throw of the dart. Um, quarterbacks you know, are always talking, a long shot. About, but No, talking about Ritter, you know, I, I actually, you know, I, I like Ritter early on, right? I, I try to hide it. Um, but but because I actually do, you know, compare to, to how you have these guys ranked. If I was a... Because I think it's all a gamble when, talk, when you talk about the quarterback position. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I want to put it in this contest, and I hope I've been clear about how I tweet about this. I have Malik Willis as my QB1 um, because of what you just said about all the guys, right? It's, it's about them being projects. And Kenny Pickett, although – and it's crazy. When I saw Kenny Pickett for the first time during the season last year, I went and started looking at, you know, little film cutups of him. And at the time, Joe Brady was still the offensive coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. And so kind of like I did with Davis Mills last year, I looked at Kenny Pickett, and without even knowing his affiliation with Matt Rule or anybody, I just looked at his style of play, and I, I tweeted. I said, man, a lot of the fans are wanting the Panthers to take a guy like Malik Willis when the actuality, it'd probably be a guy like Kenny Pickett. Because I thought that what he did, you know, was, you know, fit that, what we thought the rule brand was about, you know, with the guy like Teddy Bridgewater or... But I, I, don't, I don't think he is that guy, though. Like, I, I, I think that's the thing. I, I, I don't even think he's that guy. Like, and that's I, worse. And that's I, worse than, than, than what, you know, than, than, than what the, I guess, the best outcome scenario could be for him. If you don't think that he can be that guy then he's worse than than what most people even think, you know, like the broad NFL media who talks about him. Like, he's he's not even that good. Yeah, he's more pro-ready than everyone else because everyone else is not at all pro-ready, not because yeah. he is particularly pro-ready. Like, he's just ready. He, he'll be ready to play earlier than anybody else. Yeah. Is yeah. that it? Yeah, yeah, basically. And it's... Yeah. I, but he's I still think, a project too then. I mean, I think... I, I, I think he's less of a project than more just very... I, he reminds me a lot of Jared Goff. Just like, I don't see the upside and I'm not sure you're a great mental processor either. Like you've got an okay arm and you're not a disaster making decision. Just well, let me ask you this man. question. When we look back at 2000, what, that, that was 2016, right? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. So you had Goff and Wentz at the top of the draft. <laughs> I had a fourth round grade on Jared Goff. I, I, like I would not have touched Jared Goff with like, I remember watching... But when um, Gruden used to do his QB count, which yeah. you know had lots of flaws and was not some you know great prophecy of quarterbacks, but yeah. it, it gave you an access to quarterbacks talking about their film that you didn't generally get. Yeah. I remember watching Russell Wilson's back in the day, and his was just he clearly understood what he was doing, even if he sometimes made mistakes. Right. I remember watching Jared Goff break down his own film and go like, "I'm not even sure you understand why you're doing what you're doing." <laughs> like there was, there was I can't remember what the play was, but there was an awful pick he threw. And he yeah. like like 
he just completely, you know, what he done was not the play design at all. He basically just like panics and just thrown it down the scene for a bit. Right. And I think Gruden asked him like, why did you do this? And he just didn't know. He couldn't say like, oh yeah, I didn't see the safety or like, there was not a reason for his mistake. He just, just chucked it basically. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think, you know, I don't have the same access to pick it. I don't understand. You know, I can't say that he is the same player mentally, yeah. but it's right. that same bit of like, he shows some really nice bits of processing, but there's some really like it, he, Mac Jones was just really good. Like he was, ne- you know, he didn't do like Drew Brees level, you know, seeing a pass, you know, before he even snapped the ball kind of thing. But right. he, he just consistently made the right decision over and over and over again. Right. Kenny Pickett makes the right decision most of the time, but he yeah. is, you know, given that he is in his third season in this offense with the same offensive coordinator. The same head yeah. coach. You know, he has had a lot of continuity. He's had time. He's had reps. He has had every advantage to absolutely master this offense. And he yeah. is very good in it. But yeah. he has not mastered it to the level that you should be mastering it if you are spending three years in the same offense. Like no, lots of NFL quarterbacks get to year three or year four or year five without that luxury in the NFL. You've had a luxury in, in college that you probably won't get in the NFL. Yeah that somebody would stay with you for three years and, you know, yeah. and, and allow you to like blow up in year four. I mean, I get it. You know, and, you know, when I look at Mac Jones as a prospect, I had him number four for me too. I didn't want him to be a Panther. Um, but when I looked at him compared to the other prospects, I had him ahead of, uh, I had him ahead of Trey Lance. Right. I didn't have Mond up there. I think, you know, you shocked me last year, like you did with Muma this year and that, and he put Mond, you know, near the top of your list. Um, but, but Mac Jones was a guy that I think this is his strength. I think Mac Jones is a guy that can really read defenses well. Yeah. Like I think I think when he comes to the line of scrimmage and he sees how the safeties are set up, if he sees how you know the cornerbacks are you know you know up against the corner or if they back, I think he can like Mac Jones plays quarterback like I play Madden, right? Like if yeah. you show me what you're doing pre-snap, I know where I can go with the football. My athleticism or my arm talent might not allow me to take full advantage of what I could if I had that, but I know how to take what you're giving me, right? Yeah. And I think I think that's a Mac Jones type guy. I think when it comes to every quarterback in this draft, I think the guy that does that or would do that the best once they had some time would be Ritter. Yeah, um, no, I agree. And, and and I looked at it was like, you know, this this video that was circulating a few days ago and it broke down one of the plays that they had at Cincinnati, you know, where Ritter had to go through like his progressions and get to his fourth, you know, his fourth uh, progression, his fourth read before he made the throw. And when I saw them do that, I mean, it wasn't the only thing I've seen them do. I watched a lot of stuff on Ritter. But it was to me like probably like the most impressive film I've seen of any of these quarterbacks in this yeah. class. Um, in terms of being a processor, now, I, I do. I, really, I, I do think Ritter does still have the occasional complete brain fart in him. Like he, he like oh yeah, he, yeah. he, like he does still have that play where he just throws it somewhere. Like I have no idea what you're doing there. Like, but he is, he is, he well, is let me, let generally me this, very good. Let me say this about Ritter, and this is the thing that's most impressive about him. Um, is this his coach? Is it uh, Fackrell? Is it Fackrell out there? I can't, I can't remember. remember. I can't remember. Fickle, uh, <laughs> yeah, Fickle. Um, I think I'm saying his name right. You know, for if you're listening, I'm saying his name wrong. If I'm butchering it, then forgive me. But the Cincinnati head coach, um, 
he he broke down why Ritter was special and why he was ready. And and a lot of people don't pay attention to this stuff, but I do. And he talked about how when Ritter came on as a freshman or whatever he was, and how he was on the practice squad, right? He talked about how well he played on the on the practice squad, and and the coaching staff looked at the dude and said, "You know what? We it's time for us to give this guy a spin and see yeah. what he can do in real games." And he wasn't ready, right? He had a lot of deficiencies, but even with those deficiencies, I think he like led them to like in his first season playing. I think he led them to like ten wins or something, right? And the second year he came in, he got a little bit better. You know, he understood the game a little bit better, you know, and, and he still had, I think they had like some roster deficiencies that year. They lost a lot, but he still found a way to win games. And year three was the same, you know, and I think he played four years. Yeah. He played um, four years. Yeah. He played four years this last year, you know, he led them to, um, I believe what, you know, 12 wins, 13. I forgot. Yeah, it's not that. I, I can't remember exactly, but they, they, they were a good team. Yeah, they were a good team. They lost one game. You know, they lost the last game they played. You know, so what he talked about with Ritter, you know, obviously this is the best version of him that we're seeing now. It was that it didn't matter the situation at Cincinnati. He found a way to win double-digit games each year, despite, you know, yeah. the obstacles that he had in front of him. And, 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 and had good stats each year. Like, even, you know. It was efficient, yeah. He never had double digits intercepted. Like looking at the, like his, if you touch down some interceptions, which obviously is not the macroscopic way to look at it, but like just look at it overall. 2018, 20 touchdowns, eight, five interceptions. Um, 2019, eight interceptions, eight, eight, 18 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 19 touchdowns, six interceptions, 30 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Like he definitely had a really big 2021, but yeah. like he was good like early as well. And look at the and look at the, the crazy part about it is this, right? I mean, not the crazy part, but like the, the guy that you mentioned as being like your top wide receiver in this class, like that nobody else has as their top wide receiver in Alec Pierce. Mm-hmm. That was his number one guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and he used that guy well enough, you know, a guy that most people would see as, although he has all the measurables and you know how, you know, He's probably sneaky athletic. Um, you know, <laughs> he, he, he's got he's got ridiculous athletic testing. I know, numbers. I know. I went and looked them up after you after you brought them up, and I was like, wow, you know, that was you know that was wide receiver one in Cincinnati. He's a ninety eighth percentile athlete for NFL wide receivers. Like, but nobody's talking about this dude in the first round, right? Yeah, it's like, and, I, and I think it's the same thing, you know, with Ritter. Um, although he's getting a lot more hype in the last couple of weeks. I think largely he's going overlooked compared to these other QB prospects. And, you know, but let me clear it up again. Malik Willis is the guy that I, that I think is the, the, if he's not QB one, like, like by definition, he's the first guy or the only guy that you should risk a number six pick for. I I agree with that. And it's all on upside. Like when we heard um, Ben McAdoo, Mm-hmm. At his press conference the other day, talking about, you know, he's a swing for the fences type guy, right? The only guy that I could think about in this draft, if you were picking a QB, that you would be swinging for the fences for would be Malik Willis because of the massive upside. And, you know, a, a guy that I really respect as a scout um, that I met through Twitter a few years ago is Thor Nostrum. He does like this, you know, like his, his big board every year and he goes position by position. 
And the guy that he compares, and this is the thing I like him for, you know, a lot of people don't like comparisons. I do um, because it helps me kind of visualize who the player will be, you know, at his, at his ceiling in the NFL. Um, you know, he projected Malik Willis to be Mike Vick. And I know a lot of people say, well, Mike Vick was inaccurate. You know, Mike Vick was a train wreck, you know, with passing game and this and that. Um, but I think what Thor at least on a different um, post, I saw him, you know, a breakout breakdown. I saw him talking about Malik Willis was that when you pick a guy like Willis and they will be developmental, although they say that they really like boom a bust, which he is clearly, it's just that their ceiling, well, not their ceiling, their floor is a lot higher than people think um, in terms of production. And it's because of, their rare ability to create with their legs, which you can't depend on for 10 years. You know, you can't depend on for a long time. But, you know, while you're trying to figure things out, it's kind of like Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen came in to the league and he ran a lot, you know. Yeah. And, and 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 so people, you know, thought that he was just really, you know, like this, this reckless, you know, type, you know, of quarterback, you know, who was inaccurate, you know, but could create with his legs, had a booming arm. Um, but kind of like what we mentioned earlier you know like what what was great about buffalo using josh was that they gave him time to become josh allen right like and, yeah. and a lot of people wouldn't have given josh allen that time but they did yeah i think that was also particular to buffalo's situation as well I, I think the one thing i would say with that argument is i think ultimately if you're drafting a quarterback you draft a quarterback because you think they can win in the postseason like yeah. I, I, I don't think anyone drafts a quarterback to have like Matt Stafford's career in Detroit. <laughs> no, no. Like, like not because he was bad, but just like ultimately, he, you know, he was in 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 LA. He's been able to be like a piece in an otherwise very good puzzle. Whereas right. what he can't do, you know, he's not a guy who drags other players to win very often. He was very good in the fourth quarter and all that kind of stuff, but macroscopically over the course of the season, that's just not who he is. Right. I think the thing with someone like Malik is if he doesn't take the steps mentally, he can definitely win games with his feet. Tyler Heineke can win games with his feet occasionally. Like that, that There's a difference between able to be a guy who can go and win any given game and a guy who allows you to consistently win games. And I think the issue is, is that there is the most likely version of Malik is unfortunately the guy who does spectacular things some of the time. Um I, I, I don't wrong. He's my QB too. I think he's he is he's also the only quarterback who I or the, really the only player who you could take at six and you'd walk away from the draft being yeah I'm really excited by that. Like I'm even, excited, yeah, genuinely like, excited. Even, even though I think there's like a this the, the bunch of the probability will be him not becoming the guy you want him to be. If he right. does work it out, he has the potential to be a player unlike anybody else in this draft. Yes. Um, his arm is fantastic. And it's not just that he can throw it far. He throws with great velocity and he is accurate. Like he's not inaccurate. It can get yeah, a bit touch too. Yeah, it, it can get a bit whippy at times. And the touch yeah. does is a little bit dependent on his, you know, if he's sometimes the touch sort of fades and comes and goes and stuff. But right. it is from a clean pocket when he's got time, he's an accurate passer. He's got really good touch. He's got a fantastic velocity. The issue for him is just what he can do running the offense. Yeah. Um, and I, I think if you watch the games when he struggled the most, like the game that comes to mind, I think it was, I it was Syracuse or Illinois because they play in similar colors. Um, I think it was Syracuse he played last year. It was Syracuse, yeah, I think. It was yeah, Syracuse. yeah. 
and he really struggled at points in that game. Yeah. And and they, it was a bit like um, like Will. This is a real tangent, but Will Greer when he was coming out put up really big numbers at West Virginia that year. Right. Um, but the game that really scared me with him is if you went and watched him against Iowa State. Iowa State just blitzed him and just went like, "We dare you to just process quickly and get the ball out." Like, right. you know, you know, we're going to speed up your clock and make you beat us with your mind. And right. he just couldn't. He just like he just panicked and he couldn't get it done. Malik doesn't panic and he does great things with his feet, which allows him to offset this. But he does not show a lot of anticipation. Yeah. And that that is something you'll you know ultimately like this is what teams like the teams like Miami and, and the Patriots have just done so well with guys like Sam Darnold, is yeah. if you're not gonna show loads of anticipation, we're gonna make you play in a way that puts all the emph- emphasis on your anticipation. We are just gonna blitz the house and play cover zero man to man and make you see it early and get the ball out. Yeah, you know, like I think that was the biggest jump, you know, in what I saw from Josh Allen in year one and year two and what I start seeing him in year three is that I don't think he was a guy that threw with a bunch of anticipation at the at the NFL level, you know, early on either. He just had a big arm and, you know, like big arm guys, see guy open, get the ball there, you know? Yeah. I even think, I even think, Justin Herbert to an extent does that a lot. Pat, Pat Mahomes does it a lot as well. Like they, I, I, do, with, like, they do it a lot. Like the only guy he throws with anticipation to Mahomes is Kelsey. Yeah, because I think he just trusts him, you know, to be in certain spots, you know. But and I think I think Josh Allen does that as well with Diggs. It's the yeah. it, it's it's trust rather than true anticipation. And so he became a different guy when Diggs got there. You know, and- yeah, or at least Diggs being there compensates for his lack of anticipation because if you're not sure where to go and you you know if you know it's man to man, rather than trying to understand leverage and understanding who's dropping, to, you just you know send Diggs deep and trust him to yeah. go and make the play. Yeah, um, and that's that's an oversimplified way of looking at it. That's not exactly you know, he no, yeah. has also made steps in his anticipation, but I think the bit is when you watching Malik Willis is he does it is a lot of see guy open throw the ball. Right. And the issue is when he does anticipate, he is wrong a lot. Like there yeah. were, there were, I can't which game it was, but it, there was, there was a play where it was like a fairly simple read and he tried, he, he was under pressure, so he threw the ball early and he was clearly guessing rather than anticipating. If that makes right. sense. Like right. it worked because his arm was so good, the ball got there anyway. But the, yeah. basically, it was a, it was a defender was forced to split left and right and he just chucked it to one guy. And it was not the guy that was probably the guy who was open. But he threw it so well that it, he made he made a bad decision, a good decision with his arm tapping. The issue is in the NFL, that's going to become harder and harder to do on a consistent basis. No, and, and and look, man, you know, like for that reason, you know, like I said, I I will until the draft night come and goes. I would say that Malik Willis is going to be my QB one, you know, and but but because I understand who he is. And I don't understand who we are. It makes me a little weary to pick him. <laughs> and, you, you, have you seen the um, uh, JT O'Sullivan comment about Malik? No. Uh, JT O'Sullivan, uh, this is the QB school on uh, YouTube. So he, okay. he, Malik is his QB one, and yeah. he was like, "I don't want anyone to go to the Panthers." Just like you know, if he goes to the Panthers, oh, yeah. that could end really badly. And, yeah, and, I, I, I saw um, Tim Hasselbeck said that. Okay, yeah. Tim, Tim Hasselbeck said the same thing. You know, it was kind of like, you know, last week, you know, it was kind of like, hey, 
look, if you're a young QB out there, like I don't want you with the Panthers because of the instability around Matt Rule and this and that, and it's just a mess. Um, you know, JT O'Sullivan probably was coming from a more, you know, S's and O's type situation. No, it, it, it was just like, if you know, if you're a player, and the same is true of Ritter as well, I should point out, like if you're a young player who ultimately should probably sit early on and be developed, that requires one, that you're in a position that the coaching staff isn't desperate to win right now and provide short-term yeah. optimism, and also right. where you trust them to be developed. I mean, you can have the same conversation about Justin Fields last year with Matt Nagy. One, yeah. I think Matt Nagy was just an awful head coach. Right. But, but, but also, like, you know, Matt Nagy was under pressure to play him early to give some optimism. And I'm yeah. not sure Matt Nagy was able to develop him well. Like, I, I, I think you, you don't no, want because to. No, you, because, you, because you, you have competing interests, right? Yeah. Matt, Matt Nagy was a coach that was coaching for his career. Yeah. You know, and he drafted a guy that he couldn't afford to play. And so, like, you can't really go into the offseason preparing that guy that you can't trust yet to save your job, right? No. And then, and then, you know, like, the worst part happens is, is that, you know, you throw him out there before he's ready, before your team is ready to, to really be, you know, to, to, to play around him. And then he goes out there and he struggles, right? Yeah. And so, like, now it's the worst-case scenario for – you as a coach and him as a player. Yeah, what, yeah. what, what you want to do is what the, what Kansas City did with Matt, Pat Mahomes, where you just go like, right, we're going to draft you and we're just going to sit you for a year. We're going to stash well, you on a good team. Yeah, we'll play Alex Smith. It's fine. It's fine. Like, yeah. it, you know, this is this is a long-term investment. And if if I trusted the Panthers to do that with Willis, I would have a bit more optimism about it. Right. Um, I, I do also, there is, on a bit of a tangent, but like I did see comments on Twitter around like um, people making comments about Willis transferring away from Auburn. And concerns around that. Yes. And uh, someone then made the point about, you know, Burrow going from Ohio State to LSU and from Fields going from Georgia to Ohio State. Yeah. I, I do think there is a little bit more validity in the Malik Willis case because I yeah. think for Burrow went from an offense that he was really badly suited to to an offense that he really fit. And same with Fields the other way. Right. You know, th- their issues were they just, just did not fit in what they were doing schematically. Yeah. Willis really he would have fit schematically in Auburn. Like, right. wrong, it doesn't mean that it's his fault and not Auburn's fault. And I like that. That's not saying it is his fault, but there's not, like with Burrow and Fields, you could very clearly point to what was happening schematically and go like, this is why right. it didn't work. I don't right. think you can do that with Willis. You can't go like, this is why he didn't fit in Auburn's offense. Because like, even Gus Malzahn was the head coach at the time. And like, Gus Malzahn went to a national championship with like um Nick Marshall like like he yeah like he, the guy who was like a, a DB before yeah yeah, yeah like no, the, like yeah. this this is this is the head coach who absolutely loved hyper mobile deep passing quarterback like Cam Newton Nick Marshall like he is very much that is exactly what they want in quarterbacks right. so that doesn't mean that it was his problem and not Malzon's problem but right. there wasn't the clear scheme issue there so there was the issue was not scheme it was something else well i, I mean the one thing I, I fall back on because it's easy for you know for a person like me you know like you know I'm a I'm a I'm a guy that that love to see more guys like Malik Willis in the league because I just think that you know it just makes the league better it makes it more exciting you know and eventually yeah. it's gonna get to a place where you know like those type of quarterbacks will be winning Super Bowls um, you know I I personally didn't know about the Malik Willis and Bo Nitz and you know that whole situation down in in Auburn. Uh, but I remember being confused by it when I first 
heard about it because I was like, like what you just said, Malzahn is a guy that can win with a guy like that. Yeah. Um, but and I do know, is terrible. Yeah, and, and, and I do know this though. And what people should really rely on when it comes to that conversation is Malik Willis himself. Malik said that he wasn't ready. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. I, I should put one. This, this shouldn't be seen yeah. as some black mark on Malik, but there's not. Yeah. You, sh- you can't just brush it away with the like Ojo Burrow and Justin Fields. No, yeah, I, no, I don't no, think I mean, that. That's yeah, a separate. Yeah, there are different situations. I saw the same tweet, you know, so yeah. I do know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I didn't comment on it because of the same reason. Like normally, I, I take a tweet like that and like, oh yeah, you know, it's definitely because of this or that, you know, blah 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 blah, blah or it's definitely the same. But I do know there's some nuance to it, and I don't know. Oh, yeah, that I, know it, I don't know it all. Um, but I do know that Malik Willis himself said that, you know, he struggled with making that adjustment down there. And so he took ownership of, you know, what was happening and what happened to him. And I, I think that's the part I kind of like about him and respect is that he has this sense of self-awareness and maturity, you know, that even, you know, the worst thing that could have happened to him, you know, he, he, he uses what he did after that you know, to kind of justify who he is. And he's comfortable, you know, being a guy who played at a small school, you know, he played for Hugh Freeze. Um, Hugh Freeze, you know, I think gave like one of the best answers or the most honest answers, I think, at the combine about Malik. And it was that, you know, like he does have some flaws. You know, he does some things like at the, you know, I think he talked about his drop back and, you know, what he does, you know, at that level that, you know, he should clean up, you know, as 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 a technical issue. But because he has such freakish ability, a lot of times he erased his own flaw, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, so, you know, I, I, and I think that's the thing is it that is absolutely true, and that will also become harder to do the higher up. You know, at the NFL, yeah, loads yeah. of loads of guys do that at high school. A yeah. few guys do that in college, and very few guys do that in the NFL. I think the yeah. thing with Malik, like you're talking about there about the personality and, and him as a human being. I think that's right. the thing is like. If you're going to take Malik Willis at six, you've got to love Malik Willis. Yeah. And and but if you do, if you interview him and you are really really impressed and you, you believe in him, and the same thing I said with Justin Fields last year, if you believe in him as an individual, take him because they right. the it, the stuff that is most deterministic for him is not what he does on the field; it is his ability to change what he does on the field. No. Um, and, and, and so there's. How how you think of him and how he interviews and what you know this is you no know, the Chargers clearly were really impressed with Herbert during his interviews and right. and all, all the talk at the time was that Herbert had interviewed really really well yeah and and, and that's the thing is like Herbert's tape was really flawed right. you know I think it wasn't quite as flawed as Malik's but it was it was given that he went to Oregon not Liberty yeah. it, it yeah. was a similar kind of like there are some real issues reading plays here yeah and you're like okay we we trust we can coach that into him same with pat mahomes same with alan and don't be wrong there are same with lots of guys who haven't worked out this isn't like this some magic recipe that you draft the ceiling and you develop it like it can go wrong and some guys just can't do it right but if you believe that the guy can do it then then it's worth the risk and take that risk yeah and i'm, I'm that's that's where i'm at you know it's regardless of whether it's a left tackle and it's you know icky equinu Cross, Neil, uh, Willis, or Pickett. You know, those are the top five names that I heard in association with pick number six, right? Yeah. If you're going to pick any of those guys, do it because you absolutely love them 
and you can stand on that pit. Yeah. Don't do it because you felt like you had to. Oh, Don't no, no. It. And I think that's the thing is, this is coming back to Kenny Pickett. I think it's very hard to, you know, with Kenny Pickett, you're going to have to, like, if you take Malik Willis at six and it completely blows up in your face, you know, Scott Fitter can explain why he did that in interviews in four years' time if he gets yeah. fired. Yeah. If you take Kenny Pickett and it blows up in your face, you've got to have a bloody good excuse for why you did that. Like, you yeah. know, you because know, there's the, you know, all the all the odds are stacked against him becoming a top 10 NFL quarterback. You've got yes. to explain why you believe that wasn't true. Right. Whereas with I, Willis, it's much easier. It's just like, have you seen him throw the ball? Yeah, like, I mean, if yeah, if, if it's Malik Willis, then it's, you can say, hey, look, man, you know, the guy had a ceiling that was higher than anybody else's. You know, we wanted to swing for the fences. We did that, you know. Yeah. And 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 so it didn't work out for us. It didn't work out for Malik. Um, but we can stand on that decision. Yeah, you can't explain Kenny Pickett not developing into something special, you know, with number six later on. Like, I think that's the problem that New York is having now, you know, with Daniel Jones. Um, and I think they're different type of guys. But, you know, like, I don't. I always felt like it would have been. I felt like they were reaching when they went and got Daniel Jones at six a few years ago. Yeah, I think. I, I think. I, so I really like Daniel Jones. I, I. I think six was probably a bit high. Yeah. Um, I also think they've had a terrible situation around him and stuff. So I, I. I think Pickett is more. I mean, to be fair, yeah, I think the Jared Goff thing is the one I come back to. It's the bit of like, if you look back on it now, it's really hard to understand why someone would draft Jared Goff first overall. Yeah, um, I think Sean McVay was able to bail himself out by being really excellent at almost everything else. Right, like you, know, right. you forget that you drafted Jared Goff first overall because you built this Super Bowl contender with yes. an offensive line in the run. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're one of the great offensive minds in the NFL. Yes, but you know, if an average team had done that, and you're looking back, you're going, well, "Why on earth did you do that?" Like you, know, it's like. It's more like where you are with with Sam Darnold, where you're kind of going like, okay, why did the Panthers trade that for Sam Darnold a year ago? Like, what what did you see to make you do this? Well, the one thing that was I, I always credited Jared Jared Goff, you know, for being able to do when he was at his best, and and this was credit to Sean McVay more so than it was to Jared Goff. Jared Goff is one of these guys that doesn't have a great arm, but his arm is better than you think it is, right? Um, you know. It, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like only you know, not, if you only if you think his arm is really bad. No, I mean, but I mean, but you look at him, you don't expect much, but he will eventually, you know, like occasionally he can throw the ball, you know, sixty yards down the field, right? You know, to a wide open guy, you know, he yeah. can do like that, you know, and, and he can make, you know, most of the throws um, that are required based on the scheme that McVay runs out there. I, I would, I what I would say is that I think part of the reason why they got so frustrated with, um, uh, with him. Is that for a lot of time in in with the Rams, he was turning touchdowns into forty yard completions. And don't be wrong, when you watch a highlight and you see loads of forty yard completions, you think this guy's really good. And then yeah. you watch what the situation was when he threw the ball, and you're like, well, that should have been a touchdown. <laughs> he should have, yeah, he should have. It, it's it's, it's guys wide open on a post, and you underthrow it, so it becomes a forty yard. You, know, there were still catches, and he, yeah. he he put up big yards, but he. He was playing in an offense that should have won Super Bowls, and he took yeah. them to the playoffs. No, I, and, and that's and that's what I thought. You know, like what I thought he did very well. You know, in you know, like back in like I guess it was like 2018. 
I felt like he was like Sean McVay's avatar, right? You know, like Sean McVay couldn't be the quarterback, but he had a quarterback that he basically could say, I'm going to run this play and this guy's going to be open. Make sure you throw it there. And he did it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't see him processing it all. I just saw him like the play designs were so well executed to where Cooper Cup or whoever, you know, Robert Woods, whoever it was, was just open. And he threw the ball where he was supposed to. I think McVay got really frustrated that, you know, when he was doing that and and golf was still coming up short. Yeah. And it was like, okay, I can't deal with you anymore, you know, because now the league knows what you can and can't do. And, you know, and you can't take us any further than you've already taken us. So we got to move on. Um, I can see, like, if Kenny Pickett is like that, the worst part is that we don't have an offensive genius. You know, so even, you know, golf, me, golf and McVay, who was able to, you know, get to the Super Bowl together, playing like that, coaching like that, the Carolina Panthers aren't that, right? And so for them to think that they can just get a guy like Pickett and plug and play and automatically is success, I think that's flawed. And and for a lot of, I mean, we got to get through so much more, but you know, <laughs> for, for that reason, I think that's the most frustrating part about, you know, where we are as an organization is because we're looking at what other teams have done in terms of addressing the QB position, you know, whether it's through the draft or through um, free agency, through trades, and fans get sucked up into the narrative that, you know, well, the Rams did it, the Bucks did it, so why can't we do it? You know, the Chiefs drafted Mahomes, you know, like, you know, like, those those scenarios were guys going into teams that were already so much better built than what our current team is. And I really think fans don't get how our team is so far from being a complete team. Yes. And, and Scott Fitterer, he tries to tell us, you know, when he talks to it, you know, he, try, he tries to tell us. I mean, he can't come on as a GM and say, hey, look, you know, we're a long way from winning because, he you know, people are desperate to win. But he tells us that, hey, look, we're trying to build a team to where we can basically insert a quarterback and we can be successful. I think the part that he's not really elaborating on is how far we are from being that team. Yeah, I, I think there's also the bit in the Panthers where there's just, again, it's the conflicting timetables. I think yes. you know, Matt Rule's clock is ticking quite loudly at this point. And Scott Fitters is almost ticking by extension. And so yeah. there's that bit of what you philosophically want to do and what you're feeling pressured to do are different things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we probably should talk about some. Oh, yeah. So, 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 so we, we talked about, you know, the top QBs. We talked about um, the top left tackle prospects. And, the you know, where we stand, especially Vincent, a little less me because I'm a little bit more frustrated, I think, and, and I'm emotional. But what Vincent is saying is that of any of the, you know, and really isn't part of the conversation in terms of what Panthers should do at six. Although I, he could I, I, I wouldn't take Ritter at six either. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't want you to be confused by that. I think, honestly, the names that are being talked about at six are Equinu, Cross, Neil, Willis, and Pickett. Those have been the five names that the NFL media, that the fans and, you know, and everybody concerned with the Panthers, um, beat writers locally have associated with pick number six. If the Panthers have an opportunity to trade back in a, in a situation that is fair, compensation 
for pick six. Vincent is saying that the Panthers probably should do that rather than take any of these guys unless, unless they truly, truly love the player. And, and even then, I probably, that would only really apply to like Equanu, Cross, Ritter and Willis. Me too. Like, I, that, I think that's the, like, that's the top four. Yeah, yeah. Of those, of those guys, yeah, I, I'd kind of go Equanu, Ridder, Cross, Willis, Neil would kind of be my preference of those ones. I think. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Cross and and Ridder is kind of a bit, they're pretty close. But yeah, I'd probably go, yeah, Equanu, Cross, Ridder, Willis, Neil. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Let's say, you know, we had pick six. Yeah, and. <laughs> We're sitting here watching, and the first pick is, is I don't know, it's um, Neil, right? The second pick is like Sauce Gardner. And then the next um, three picks are Cross, Equinu, and then somebody trades up for Willis. Mm-hmm. Then what? Like everything is 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 bad. Nobody wants to trade with the Panthers. Yeah. So we sit there, we stuck with the pick. Like, what do you do then? I think that's where Edge Rusher comes in. Because I think like in terms of like the really the positions where like basically at that point you just go best player available. I mean there was a, a famous one years ago where the Cowboys took um I don't know his name, Travis uh their center. I've completely forgotten his name. Oh, but they, Frederick. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, they basically drafted him because they were just going kind of like, well, no one wants to trade out, trade into this pick, and all the guys we wanted to take are gone. So they just, just, you know, they just went BPA basically. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that's what you do in those situations. I think for me, BPA would mean edge here. I think yeah. while I think you know Moomer and Pierce are excellent prospects, I, I think in terms of making the Panthers better and value of the position, I think it's going to be edge. Yeah. For me, that means Walker. Um, from Georgia, I think yes. he is the top edge. I think. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I, I I think there is a genuine conversation between like him, Carl um, Aftis, and um, Hutchinson. Uh, yeah. I think Walker is one of those guys who is a very good athlete who has like the core technique nailed. Yeah. What he needs is for someone like I, I'd find it hard to imagine him busting. I think he'd be a like his floor is that of a good defensive end. I think yeah. the question for him is whether someone can develop the higher level technique stuff to take him from like a good starter to an elite one. Right. Like I think he's already got like enough speed to win outside at times. He can play three tech and edge. He's got good power and he rushes the edge. But can he can he develop you know rip moves, spin moves, sp- you know swim moves? Can he can yeah. he can he develop those higher level pass rushing moves to win when his athleticism doesn't win? Right. Um, and that's what will take him. Like his core technique is good, though. It's not yeah. just like he's an athlete who you're trying to project. He's an athlete with really, really good core technique. He plays right. with good pad level, hand placement, arm extension, all very good. Excellent run defender. The right. question is just can he add those like upper tier pass rushing moves, like the kind of stuff that the Bowser brothers have both just killed at. Like they might yeah. not necessarily like. I think they are both very good athletes and all that right. kind of stuff. But the thing that has elevated them is that they have had these like developed pass rushing moves and i i think that's the the thing that if 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 walker can add will take him from from where he is to kind of that very top tier guy um yeah. on the other side of the spectrum i think hutchinson and 
Hutchinson is a guy who has some of those things, but he's not quite as good. I don't think he's quite as good an athlete and doesn't have the same like ruthlessly good core technique. I think if Hutchison can play with more consistent pad level and core technique and just ultimately keep himself in more plays in the first couple of steps, yeah. um, then I think he can also be a really good player. I think Carl Aftis, I think, yeah. is more... He, he's, he's one of those players who you, you, you start watching and like if you watch a couple of plays, you think, oh yeah, okay, I've seen this guy before. Big 10, maybe, you know, Bigger defensive end, has some nice hand usage, pretty good power, but, you know, is ultimately a limited guy. Um, like Anthony Nelson or like Zach Allen from Boston College a few years ago. And then every now and then there's a play where he just flashes this freakish athleticism. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no, 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 you're not that guy. You're more of the like J.J. Watt type guy in the sense of having all the, you know, if, if you watch J.J. Watt, you'd forget at times that, that he is this excellent athlete. Yeah. And I think Carl Aftis is a bit like that as well. I think he has more technical stuff he had to work on than Watt did back in the day. Like he's not he's not JJ Watt, but it's that same bit of like bigger defensive end, plays a bit of three tech, um, and isn't obviously athletic in the way that someone like Walker is. Um, and then how do you compare him to like Epineza? I think it's Epin. Is it Epineza? Oh, he's yeah, way way better than Epineza. Way better okay. than Epineza. Um, uh, yeah, I think these are all like some of my top 10 prospects in the draft. They're all really, really good players. Yeah. Um, all three of them. Um, I think the other guy who gets talked a lot about is Thibodeau. Yes. Um, potentially number one overall pick. For right. me, he's a really hard guy to project and I do have him a bit lower. He's still a top like 15, 20 prospect for me, which should be very clear. Like he's still a very good player. Yeah. Um, the, the thing with Thibodeau is just that like his good plays are excellent. He shows everything you want to see some of the time. There are just <laughs> there are just too many plays that he just gets blocked out of way too quickly. His he shows really high level technique. He shows good, you know, he shows the ability to do everything. He just needs to do it play in, play out. Because at the moment there are just he's the kind of guy who I could imagine having really quite good sack production, but just disappearing for large chunks of games. Yeah. And, and, and I think if you're drafting a guy sixth overall. I think you would hope it's a bit like DJ Moore was like this as a receiver. And don't be wrong, I, I think you can, you know, DJ Moore has become an excellent receiver. But it was yeah. that bit of like his good plays at Maryland were fantastic. There were right. just bits where he kind of disappeared and didn't just look disappear. Anything. Yeah. 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 And, and Thibodeau's the bit the same. If you can get the guy he is 20% of the time and be that 60% of the time, even, you've got like an excellent, excellent head rusher. Now, what do you see it as? Do you see it as, because, you know, he's, He's probably the most perplexing prospect at the top of the draft because I think coming into the season, everybody thought he was like number one overall, right? Yeah. But then as the season progressed, you know, and, you know, it's and probably more so after the season and, in, you know, to the combine season, um, he started falling because people started questioning his personality, you know, his motivation. Um, when you watch him on film, though, like all that stuff aside, when you watch him on film, like when he disappears – is it because he's being schemed to be taken away or is it effort? I don't think it's effort. I think it's technical discipline. Okay. It, 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 it's one of those things where, but like, this is the thing I'll say for all edge rushers and all defensive linemen in general. Like, there is a, Derek Brown is, is, is bad for this as well. It's that bit of like, ultimately, you've just got to make your probabilities as good as possible. You've, you know, 
what you've got to do is eliminate the plays that you're out of after a second. Because if if you know, yeah. if, if NFL offensive linemen get their hands on your chest and grab you, you're pretty yeah. much done. Yeah. You know, and you've just got to make sure that happens as little as possible. And you know, sometimes like Brian Burns is great at having those like freakishly special pass rush plays where he just gets the spectacular sack after like a second and a half. And 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 Thibodeau will definitely have those plays. It's yeah. just about making sure he has as few plays as possible where like he takes two steps and gets blocked and he's just done. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he you know, he, he's got to make sure that he's keeping his frame clean, keeping his pad level down, locating his hands with good arm extension and just keeping himself in plays for as, as much of the time as possible. And if you do that, if you keep yourself in a lot of plays, the sex and the pressure will come because you'll have more opportunities. Um, and so for me, that's, that's the big thing. It's just about that thing. Making sure that you're being, you're playing with the right technique every single down, just just that ruthless technical efficiency, and that's things that the TJ Watt does. Who again, very very good athlete, but just keeps himself in place. He gets yeah. so many sacks because he just keeps himself alive. He's just yeah. he he prevents himself from being blocked. And if you do that, you allow yourself as well as those special pass rush, quick sack moments. You just get the effort rush plays, and there are guys who only have the effort rush plays and don't ever get those elite you know pressure generating moments yes but, but ideally you want to have both you want to have the special win with spectacular speed dip and bend type stuff yeah but also have the plays where you know you rush you don't win immediately you get your hands up you locate them and then you rip laterally you 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 know the quarterback breaks the pocket and you're able to release or you're able to drive the guy back and just the plays where you're winning in three or four seconds not just two because he has yeah. loads of plays where he wins in two, but if he doesn't win in two, he often doesn't win at all. And I think that's the big thing for him. So, okay. So this is if the board falls badly. Yeah. And nobody wants to trade. Yeah. And so in that case, you know, the, the great thing about this draft is, I think you mentioned this earlier, this draft has a lot of very good players at the top, probably no elite players, right? Yeah. But in terms of grading these guys out, would you say that these edge prospects that you just went through are on an equal level as the tackle prospects that we talked about? Uh, some are. So if I look at my sort of overall board roughly, I have of the tackle, edge and quarterbacks, I would go Walker, Karlaftis, Ekwanu, Hutchinson, um, uh, Cross, and then I have Nick Benito, who's another edge rusher I'll talk about in a bit, who's probably, yeah. probably more of a day two, two pick. Ridder, yeah. Thibodeau, uh, and then Willis, uh, Frere, and yeah, and, and Petit Frere and Neil and those kind of guys. So yeah, I think the edge rushers are more of my top ten picks. I think I have three edge rushers and one offensive tackle. Okay, and so with that said, you would be happy if not happy, but you would be satisfied. You know, if the Panthers are left to pick one of these edges and we walk away with a guy like Walker. Yeah, yeah I, I think it would be a perfectly decent use of the pick. I think yeah. the issue would be is that would be a sign that they wanted to trade down. And couldn't. I, I think yeah. ultimately, you know, however much I think they should draft an edge rusher, I think if they draft an edge rusher at six, that's because the board has fallen badly and they couldn't move out of the pick. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of all the guys, you know, that you went through, I believe Walker would be my, my number one pick um, as well. So I do agree with that. Like, I, I fell in love with Walker. Um, 
postseason. You know, obviously, obviously I saw them play a lot. You know, we talked about this last week when we talked about linebackers, and I mentioned that I saw Dean play a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like those other guys at UGA, I saw Walker play a lot just, you know, just by default. And it wasn't that he stood out more than anybody else because I think everybody, when they watch that defense, they, they were watching for Jordan Davis, you know. Yeah. Walker didn't do much, but that's what we wanted to see, right? Um, but, you know, but, but Walker did make plays. And then, you know, when you saw him at the combine and realized how freakish he was, you know, at 272, you know, six foot four, whatever he is, six foot five, and he runs a four, five, two. I was like, man, you know, like that's, that's next level stuff. And then I researched him a little bit more. He came into college at 290, I believe they had him as a D tackle, you know, early on. And he, you know, he just slammed down and, and became an edge rusher. And I think, you know, that ability and the technique stuff that you said that he has, I think came because he, you know, he evolved himself and they worked with him to become the player that he is. And so, uh, yeah, I don't think that's like, you know, the best outcome scenario for any Panthers fans to end up, you know, picking the edge. But um, if I had to pick a guy and, you know, and, and we were fortunate enough to still have Walker on the board at that point, you know, he would definitely be the guy. I think, you know, the sexier names are Thibodeau and Hutchison. Um, Carl Laftis, I've seen people have around their top 10 a lot. Like that. Yeah, I, I think he got hurt, so he didn't really test at all, um, which I okay. think might have, might have hurt him, but his tape is really good as well. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'm not going to talk about any other prospects that we talked about before. There are a couple more too, but, you know, like, um, you know, I, I think going cornerback would be unlikely. I think going yeah, I think. Safety, would be unlikely at at this level at the top 10 and I think you know wide receiver anything else that could be available if everything falls badly you know would be unlikely so edge would be you know something that we need and I think you know and I think um Federer even mentioned that too he yeah, mentioned yeah, that I mean, we're still it, looking for an edge I mean, they, they still worked an edge out the other week like they clearly need an edge rusher um yeah. you know, Hassan Riddick is a massive hole to fill yeah. Um, and they just have not done that at all. So I, 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 if they don't draft one, I think they, they're going to have to add an edge somehow through the remainder of the offseason. Um, yeah. But uh, I, ideally, it wouldn't happen with the sixth pick. But I think, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit in a second. But if they trade down, I think edge then becomes very much a real option on day two. Okay. All right. So, you know, that's pick six. And there's a lot there. You know, you know obviously is a very intense pick for the Panthers and the Panthers fan base. Uh, we don't know what they'll do. Um, you know, if one of those top five guys that we mentioned is somebody that they love, then I hope that they have the conviction enough to draft them. But I also hope that if they don't love them, that they don't draft them. Yeah. And, you know, and that we can get a trade down scenario, you know, where we can pick up some extra picks and, you know, do some other good things in the draft. Um, if everything falls badly on the board, you know, then one of these edge rushers, Walker, um, Hutchison, Thibodeau, Karlaftis, you know, could be some options there. Uh, I think some people even mentioned, you know, Jermaine Johnson, um, you know, too, but I don't know if he is somebody worthy to go, you know, and get at six. I don't know, but okay, let's say, you know, we make one of these choices, right? We, 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 we pick someone at six. We don't know who, but we pick someone at six. Then no trade back happened. We don't pick again to day 37. So two days later, <laughs> like, yeah. like what would we, like what would be there for us to, to look at, you know, in, in round four 
um, in this draft? I think of these three positions, there are a few ways you can go, but ultimately, you know, there aren't that many options. There are not many franchise left tackles in the fourth round or elite edge rushers or franchise quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, I think I'll just name a few guys quickly and talk a little bit about them, but I, I, I do ultimately point that. The point I would make is if you expect to fill any of these needs in the fourth round with a starter, you are probably kidding yourself. Yeah. Um, in terms of quarterbacks, I think there are three guys, maybe in the fourth or at least on day three, who are at least worth mentioning. I think Bailey Zappi is the best of them for me. Okay. Um, I think he, again, has not got an amazing arm. I think he's in a similar tier to Pickett for me. I think the difference is you can get him in the fourth round rather than the first round. Um, I think he's got an okay arm, really good touch, to be fair, like really, really good touch, uh, particularly on his deep ball that helps him out a lot. And he's fairly accurate. Um, But he's he's a guy who, he played at Baptist University, I can't remember which university it was, Southern Baptist potentially, I I, I forget, where he played at um, an FCS level in 2020 and then yeah. he transferred to uh, western kentucky and his offensive coordinator from from the fcs fcs level carried over as did some of his receivers so they basically imported yeah. the entire offense from the fcs level to western kentucky yeah he played he played at houston baptist houston baptist that's it i apologize um yeah. but basically they took their offensive play caller their quarterback and some of their receivers and moved the whole thing to western kentucky and basically just ran exactly the same offense Right. So, although he only has one season in the FBS, he was running exactly the same scheme he'd run at Houston Baptist. Um, right. With that said, he ran it really well. Like, he, he was, I would say he is a, you know, if you're comparing him to, to, to Pickett, I think he ran, admittedly, a less NFL-like scheme, but he yeah. ran it to a higher level than Pickett ran his scheme, given they both had multiple years in it and stuff. I think, like... If, if Pickett had ran his scheme as well as Zappi ran his, I think Pickett then would move more towards the Mac Jones kind of conversation. Right. Um, I think the difference is that Zappi's scheme was not at all NFL-like, and yeah. his arm is still a question. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for the Panthers, he is probably, about, you know, along with Pickett, about as, be- as good a chance as you'd have of someone who could come in and play week one, particularly yeah. if you're going to play more of a spread-type offense. I think, again, you're looking at a guy who is going to have to absolutely dominate the mental side of the game to be a franchise quarterback. Yeah. Um, and I think that's unlikely. So I think he, is, he could be a career good backup or like borderline starter. And in the fourth round, that is probably good value. Um, yeah. But I'm just not sure if that's what the Panthers need. The, the next best guy, in my view, is EJ Perry from um, Brown, but formerly at Boston College. Again, another older quarterback dominated at the FCS level, has a really good arm, I must say. Like, you know, there are some really wild throws on there. Yeah. Um, but again, there are questions about, like, the speed of the game, how quickly he goes through reads, that kind of stuff. Again, he's more just, like, a true project type of guy, yeah. but is also 24. So They're probably get compared to, like, Fitzpatrick or something coming from uh, Ivy League school. Yeah, I, I think there are pro- – he is more like Fitzpatrick in that Fitzpatrick is not at all an Ivy League quarterback. Like, people think yeah. about Fitzpatrick as, like, this game manager type. He is yeah. absolutely not that. No, Fitz, it's pretty is, Fitz is just, like, a complete gambler. Like, he yeah, is going to throw the deep shot, and he's going to keep throwing the deep shot until yeah. someone picks it off. He's like uh, Brett <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's like, it's like Brett Favre without the, like, all-time great arm. Yeah. Um, and photographic memory. Um, <laughs> Brett Favre 
Was Brett Favre photographic? Oh, yeah, pretty much. Like Brett, Brett Favre, like Brett Favre's understanding of offenses is very different from Brett Favre's execution of NFL offenses. Gotcha. Like, Brett Favre was a guy who was like, I, I'm just going to keep throwing a deep shot. I don't care. I know it's not the read. I'm going to throw it anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is just bonkers. But, yeah. but, but Perry is a genuine developmental gamble. The other guy is Ellaby at Western Michigan, who I think is another guy who I think I looked at last year and didn't declare and had loads of really nice athletic traits. He's definitely a developmental guy and is another guy a bit like Sam Howell, um, who just didn't quite take that step where that like going back for the senior season, you think uh, in a way you've decreased your stock by not getting better. Um, And I think there is quite a lot of work to do. He's a really mobile guy throws the ball well at times, but I think he's, again, an outside chance, but he's a, a roll of the dice, effectively, if you want to take a fourth-round quarterback. Yeah. Um, I think more reasonable options, I think offensive tackle, I actually like Matt Walletsko at uh, North Dakota. Um, again, he's developmental, he's really long, good athlete, moves well, and his technique is fairly promising, but is another guy who, if you drafted him, you'd be sitting him for a year and trying to play him either later in the season or the year after. So, like, if you're content to play Brady Christensen this year and yeah. then develop where let's go and then move where let's go to tackle and bring Christensen into guard next year, that's an option. Yeah. Um, I think he's touch and go whether he falls as far as the fourth round. Now, um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a true left tackle. Yeah, he's a true left tackle. He's like, I know uh, he's, like, fits eight or something, right? Yeah, he's, like, six eight three twelve. 312. Yeah. So, he, he's, he's a tackle, not a guard. Um yeah. At Edge, there are a couple of options. Um, one is Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma, who okay. is a really solid, but probably not like yeah, yeah. I'm not. I think he's a really good player, and if he falls to the fourth, would be really good value. I'm not sure he's a great fit for the Panthers. And right. I think he's more of a guy who gives you immediate, decent starter level as like a bigger defensive end. Yeah. Um, so he'd be more of a replacement for Morgan Fox, but I think yeah. they would hope that Gross Matos would be that guy and would take that role. So right. I, I think he would be a good value player. I'm not sure he's an exactly great fit. The other is Robinson um, from Miami, Ohio. Um, he's just a complete project. He's a really fluid athlete, bends really well, quick. Um, you, know, you watch him and you, you can see who he could become, but he is an absolute build-it-up-from-the-ground project, technically, pretty much. Yeah. So he would be he would be a real gamble. Um, so ultimately, I think the takeaway is that if you're going to try and fix any of these needs in the fourth round, it's either going to be someone whose ceiling is limited, someone who is a you know a big swing, low probability of hitting guy, or or someone who is just going to take time to develop. Like I think well, let's go is actually a really good tackle prospect in yeah. terms of you know I think he should become a starting tackle. Um, but he is just not at all ready to start week one. Um, yeah. So, and then just to, just to put Panthers in the right frame of mind, uh, Panthers fans in the right frame of mind, you know what Benson is saying is that you know like two years ago the Panthers needed to address the corner position, you know, and they went out and got Troy Pride in the fourth round. Yeah, and you know he you know ceiling wasn't very high, you know, but he had the potential to become a player, and so they took they took the risk on the on the corner there. And, you know, so far, you know, he had one season where he played a lot, you know, probably prematurely, and he was injured all last year. You know, who knows if he'll make the roster in year three. You know, but that's the kind of guy that you are taking swings at, you know, in the yeah. fourth round or later. Do not draft the need in the fourth round. 
Like, right. like, like you can draft for need early in the draft sometimes, and particularly in the first round, you generally have to draft someone who can actually play. Like, there's no point. You know, there would be no point the Panthers drafting a quarterback in 2015 because they're just never going to play. Yeah. Um, at least not in like the first or second round. Like you're 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 just drafting someone to be a backup. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like you know, if you get to the fourth round, it's a complete gamble who is going to be there at any given position. Yeah. You know, the, you know, Matt Moletsko might fall to the fourth round, but he could also be gone at the middle of the third round. Same with any of these guys. Like there is no guarantee. It takes one team to really like someone for them to go in the second round, kind of thing. And, yeah. and certainly when you're not picking as late as 137, the odds of any given player being gone are pretty decent. Um, yeah. So so you, you you can't take someone... You, the Panthers could not draft a quarterback at six going, Alex Fine will get Matt Wallettsko in the fourth because you just cannot trust that him or any other prospect is definitely going to fall that far. And just so we're clear, what we're focusing on here is the are the position groups that we are discussing today, you know, for what we should do. Yeah, yeah of course. Pick 137. You know, we've already discussed in previous weeks um, other positions that we could take on day three, you know, such as linebacker, safety, corner, wide receiver, whatever. Um, so these are just the positions that we're talking about today, QB, yeah, yeah. offensive tackle, and edge. And so, um, so that's, you know, if we can't trade back and we have to wait until – day three to pick again. So in the other <laughs> scenario in the multiverse where we do get to trade back yeah. and, um, you know, we pick the guy in the mid first um, or, you know, we can pick a guy in the mid first and then we can come back and pick a guy, you know, in the uh, second or third, like who are some prospects that we can take a look, you know, look at in the first round if we trade back and then who would be some guys that we could take a look at later on if possible too. So I think in terms of like the first round, if you trade back, I think at least certainly with inside the top sort of 15, 20 picks, you're basically trying to draft the same guys as you are at six. You're just hoping that one of the second tier guys falls. You're hoping that, you know, um, you know, it is um, Desmond Ridder still there at 20. Is Malik yeah. Ridder still there at 20? You know, it is, is Hutchinson or Walker or Kalaftis? You're just hoping one of those tier guys falls. Right. I think... If you're going beyond pick 20, so into either like the genuinely late first or early second, then yeah. there are a few names who start to come up. Um, and there are a few guys who I think I probably didn't mention earlier for the sixth pick, but I think who are in those tiers, but just aren't being talked about in those tiers. Okay. So I think at quarterback, as well as those top, like Ridder and Willis are my top two guys. The next two guys for me are Coral from Ole Miss and Howell. Um, yeah. I think Coral... Uh, I think he throws the ball well. I think he's a really fluid athlete. Um, I think there is definitely stuff to develop. I think schematically, there is a lot of work to be done. Like okay. Ole Miss just got him to chuck up a lot of 50-50 balls. Yeah. And, he, and he threw a nice 50-50 ball, but you, you, yeah. you have to take an entirely different mental approach in the NFL. You can't yeah. just keep chucking up 50-50 balls on the outside and letting your guy go win because right. you know, the other team gets paid too and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you will throw a lot of picks. Yeah. Um, so I think for him, it's taking a guy who has pretty good physical traits and just building an entire new attitude. And, and I think he needs quite a lot of work, but I think he's not, I don't think he has the same upside as Willis, but I think he's a similar kind of boom bust, complete project guy. Yeah. Sam Howell is interesting in that I think he, he does some nice things. He feels more like you, um, you're dra drafting a guy and you're just not sure which guy you're getting. 
Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I think his tape is good. I think he's a guy you have to really believe in because you're ultimately drafting a guy who doesn't have like elite athletic traits, but it's still something yeah. of a project. Yeah. Um, so I'm not as high on how, but I think those are guys who at least are, they should be part of a top 50 pick discussion. Um, well, you know, the crazy part about Howell is, you know, obviously, you know, the Panthers are in Charlotte and there's, there are a lot of UNC fans, you know, um, in the fan base. And, you know, I guess it was what, it would have been three years ago when Sam Howell first entered the whole QB discussion, right? Yeah. And, you know, he, he took off running. He was a, you know, big, big time recruit, you know, in the state of North Carolina, went to UNC. And I remember, you know, back then thinking, you know, well, in 2022, Sam Howard, you know, might be QB1, right? And so it's interesting, you know, to <clears throat> at least you have him at number four. I actually have him as my fourth best QB2. Um, but, you know, it's like how quickly things change for guys, right? You know, yeah. here's this guy who... And I think, crucially, there's also quite a bit of evidence. And this is is that basically though that, like, that tier of guy does not actually work out very well. That like the yeah. the the mid second round are okay. Then let's give this guy a chance. Quarterback pick rarely yeah. is not necessarily a great. Like if, if you don't really like them, um, partly if they don't get the same chance. But I I, I think Hal has enough of a chance that I think he's worth discussing. I yeah. don't think he'd be a player that I would personally target. At least not in the Panthers situation. I don't think. Yeah. No, I, I get with that. I mean, to me, I see Howell as a guy that can go to a team that has like a good infrastructure already set yeah. and he can sit behind a guy, you know, and, and truly take his time and develop. And when he has to play, he actually plays well. Like, you know, when I look at, you know, places for like a guy like Sam Howell to go, I, I look at a team like the Colts. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, 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 yeah. If he can go to the Colts and have Frank Wright, you know, that can let him sit behind a guy like Matt Ryan, you know, for a year. And then, you know, Matt Ryan's age, you know, everything, you know, they decide like, hey, look, it's time to move on from that. And now you have Howell that's been marinating for a year or two and, and he's ready to be the guy. Uh, I think he has like a, a real high level of toughness. I love his heart, you know, and obviously um, he didn't have the skill position players that he had become accustomed to last year. Yeah. And it showed. And But I think if you put him in a place where, he actually has like big time receivers around him, running game, offensive line. Then I think you know he he'll have a lot of success. You know even without all the talent. Yeah, I think he's a he's a guy who would really benefit from sitting behind a veteran for a year or two. Like I think yeah. he, whereas guys like Ritter and Willis, I think need development. I think you know while I'm not sure I trust the Panthers to do this, but I think you could just start Sam Darnold and just treat them as completely. It's not like here's you have to go and learn from this veteran. I think it's more like we have to get you used to the NFL speed and, and pace and that kind of stuff. I think Howell is a guy who would really benefit from a sort of a veteran experience and like learning yeah. from a guy to go and sit, you know, to go and step up and go and play a system that he has been trained to play. I think he is, he is someone who would benefit from that. Yeah, I just, um, man, I'm at a point now where I'm kind of frustrated having these kind of conversations because it's like we can't take certain guys because we don't have the proper infrastructure to like bring in certain guys because, you know, we might do more harm than help. You know, and yeah, you can't but, maximize their, their ability. I think that's true of lots of, I mean, there, there are lots of franchises where, you know, the Jaguars are a great example. Like, you know, players probably were not developed well there last year. Like, there, yeah. there was, you know, bad teams do not help 
good prospects become good players. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the issue with the NFL draft system that is consistently the most talented players are going to the teams least suited to develop. Yeah. Um, but but we'll see. Um, I think outside of quarterback, I think offensive tackle is more of a real area. Like generally, the second round is not where you go for quarterbacks because generally, yeah. if, if you're worth it, you go in the first round. I think there are some offensive tackles who should genuinely be considered both mid-first yeah. and later. Um, yeah. When I talked about those three tiers of offensive tackle earlier where I had like Cross and Dequano as the top tier, I think yeah. the other guy who's in the same tier as Neil for me is Petit Frere um, at Ohio State. And you know that's that's not a name I heard about before preparing for this this episode. You know, and and what what do you like about him? I think he's a really fluid athlete. I mean, he was a guy who was getting mocked to the late first round a lot during the season, and then just kind of faded. Yeah. Um, I think as other names came in, I think yeah. he he did not have the best season at times, but also I think he was often like if you go and watch his Michigan tape, um, like you know. He was going up against two guys who would have at least stayed healthy, been top 20 picks. And yeah. you know, he wasn't perfect, but he held his own. Right. Um, I think there are some technical things he needs to work on. I think he needs to bend his knees more. Um, I think he needs to play with more sort of lower body discipline. But I yeah. think he, you know, he has all the traits you would want for someone to become a franchise left tackle in terms of athleticism. Yeah. Um, and I think he has a, a good enough level of technique that I think there's a reasonable chance of him. You know, he's not just a complete project. I, I I think he's a, he was one of those players who I was really high on early in the process, kind of went off a bit when they didn't quite materialize into the like elite prospect I thought they had a chance to be. But then mm-hmm. going back and watching them again, you think, actually, no, this guy is really good. Like he might not be a top 10 pick, but this guy is actually really good. Yeah. Um, I think that next tier for me is Penning and Tyler Smith. Okay. Um, Penning, I think, is probably going to go too high. Yes. Um, and Tyler Smith is probably going to go a bit too low. So I think of the two, based on where they're projected, Tyler Smith is definitely the one who I'd identify more as someone to target. But yeah. both of them are really good athletes with a chance to be elite left tackles, right. but who basically need a pretty much like floor up remake technically. So um, they're not ready to play. Oh, no, no. I, I think yeah. if you're, you know, again, as with quarterbacks, sometimes a guy like Cam Newton just comes in and just is even though the college tape doesn't says he doesn't indicate he will be, he just develops so quickly when you get him in the building that he is ready to play week one. And yeah. maybe one of these guys can be. But I think if you draft, if you draft Penning at pick 20, you draft him to sit him for some time. And if you yeah. draft Tyler Smith at pick 35, you draft him to sit him for some time. Yeah. Um, I, I think personally, I have a preference for Smith. I mean, I mentioned him on a previous podcast as someone who is indication of like the 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 way in which you can assess developmental potential in that he's someone who is relatively new to playing offensive line and went to a smaller school obviously penning went to a smaller school as well but i think he's been spent more time at tackle than than smith has yeah Um, and so you think okay yes he has some really bad technical habits that you basically need to remake his stance and remake his his the way what he does from a technique point of view right but i understand why he might not have developed the, the same, you know, Evan Neal was, went, was, was a top high school recruit who went to Alabama. If he yeah. was technically poor, it would be a massive red flag. Right. Um, the fact that someone who was a fairly lowly recruited player who went to Tulsa um, is not, you know, the most polished left tackle prospect ever, I can understand why they are less, less polished. It doesn't mean that they will suddenly develop that polish, but again, if he interviews well, if you trust the player, same with Penning, to be fair, 
but yeah. they are guys who have huge potential. They are more like Malik Willis's as as draft prospects, just attacking. Who was the guy that went to Houston a few years ago? I mean, he he went to be a right tackle, but he was a left tackle. I think he came from like Alabama. Alabama. Uh, oh yeah, I know who you mean. I can't remember his name. Um, uh, yeah, he he didn't work out particularly. No, but, I mean, but you know, do you see him as somebody like that or better? I I think I'd go more for the um, Armstead um, at New Orleans. Um, oh really? Who, yeah, because again, he was just you know a small school guy who was just just like you know or. Um, uh, it's Spencer Brown with uh, Buffalo. Um, yeah. Which is like, we're drafting an athlete and we're going to make them a left tackle. Right. Um, I think that's more where I have both guys. Yeah. Um, I think the if you're talking like later in day two, maybe someone like Abraham Lucas yeah. um, at, at Washington State, but I think he's he's more of like, just an, I, I think he's like a late day two pick. Yeah. Um, edge, there is some real depth at Edge. Uh, yeah. For me, Nick Benito is a guy who should be getting first round buzz and isn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, he didn't really play. I think he didn't play tons of true edge because Oklahoma moved him around a lot. Like he, if you go and watch like the Nebraska game, he's basically just being used as a spy on Martinez the entire time. He's just playing spy. That's his. That's his. That's the position he played that week. And then yeah. other times he gets. He gets, so he didn't ever get a chance to just go. You're going to pin your ears back and rush the passer for thirty snaps a game every week. Right. But when he did, he was really impressive. He's got he's good good get off, but his bend is really really good. His ability to like dip and turn under tackles is excellent. He's a yeah. much better run defender than you'd think a two hundred and fifty pound defensive bend would be. Both like inside and out, he penetrates really well. He bends well, uses his hands well. I, I think he's the fact that he hasn't played edge as a true position effectively means that he is more of a project. Yeah. But I think he he should definitely be as a like a top twenty pick discussion for me. Um, so if he falls today too, I think that would be great value. And then you're on to more of the like, like uh, Drake Jackson at USC and Jermaine Johnson at FSU. For right. me, they're guys who are sort of in that middle range of both very athletic, um, but also fairly polished and just aren't quite in the elite tier in either regard. But I think could be really good players in a year or so. Um, I think Ajabo is a little bit of a boat, yeah, a bit, a bit of best of both worlds in a way. In that, like, he, I think he is not the hyper athletic player that some of the other guys are, but mm-hmm. he is a good athlete who also shows some really nice technique stuff. And I think there are a bit like Thibodeau in that his best plays are really good, and it's about making sure that he has more of those best plays. You know, the um, crazy part is some people. I mean, it wasn't a common thing for people to say, but I've, I've actually saw scouts that um, have said that they believe that Ajabo was a better prospect than Hutchison. I think they're very different players. As in, I yeah. think it depends what you want your edge rusher to be. If you're yeah. looking for Hassan Reddick, then Ajabo is much more Hassan Reddick than Hutchinson is. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for, uh, I don't know, J.J. Watt, then Hutchinson yeah. is much more. They're, they're, they're just fundamentally really quite different players. Okay. Yeah. I think the, the guy who Ajabo reminds me quite a lot of is Kamoko Ture. Yeah. Um, when he was at Rutgers, I think that's the player who, who, who Ajabo reminds me of. And I really liked Kamoko Ture. I think he was a really yeah. good player. I think he's, yeah. he, you know, his injuries have really inhibited him at times in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 I think Ajabo is a similar player. And then the other guys I think are worth some mentioning. Sam Williams, I don't think he's a great fit with what the Panthers want, but I think he's a really good prospect. Right. Uh, more, more of like a power rusher, three-tech the end. Um, and then my high Sanders, or my J, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, um, from Cincinnati. Yeah. 
he's another guy who is just a complete, you know, draft an athlete, develop a player kind of guy. Now, I don't get a read for like how big he actually is. I know he's six foot five, but is he like 228 or is he 250? I think he's more like 228. Yeah. Uh, I think he strikes me more as he's more of like a very raw Brian Burns. Yeah. In terms of stylistic, like like Brian Burns put on weight to hit like 240. Like Brian yeah. Burns was like 225, 230 at points in his college career. Right. Um, not when he was drafted, but at points in his college career, he was like 235. Yeah. Maybe. And I think Maya Sanders is more like that. I think Burns was just a much better technician than Sanders. Yeah. I think Sanders is one of those things where like two years ago or a year ago, you'd watch him and think, my God, this guy can be really good if he works it out. Right. And you're still kind of at the same point of like, Open if he that, works yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he's more of a complete role. He's more like with Lucas, a, a tackle. He's a guy that you draft mid to late third rather than you know, with a 40th pick. Um, I think, well, you know, yeah. The crazy, yeah, the crazy part is, you know, like with these names that you just went through, I mean, all of these guys are players. And, you know, I think it speaks to, you know, what I think is probably like the deepest position group in the draft. Oh, but by a mile. The, the edge class is really – like. It's one of those things, like, I don't think any of, like, Thibodeau, Hutchinson, you know, none of them are Miles Garrett or, right. like, there, there isn't that guy in this draft. Right. But there's a lot, the, the depth is remarkably good. The only class I can sort of think it was something like it was the, like, the Brian Burns, um, Chase Winovich, um, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen class. But yeah. that was more of the depth of that top tier. Like, they had four really excellent um Pass rushers at the top of that class. Yeah. And then there were some guys in there, you know, like Ferrell was probably a decent rusher, but I'd say there were 10 guys in this class who were in not actually that top tier, but in that tier between like Brian Burns and a Clayton Ferrell. Like yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's that like very good to good prospect kind of level that yeah. there yeah. are, you know, 10 guys in this class. Like I think of my top 50 prospects, I'd say 10 of them, nine, 10 of them are defensive ends. Yeah. So you have, a, you have a bunch of guys that's like Adjulari, you know, out of Georgia. Like, would you yeah. put these guys in that type of range? I think Adjulari is would be towards the upper end of this class. I think yeah. Adjulari would be a, like a top five, six defensive end in this class. Yeah. Um, it's more. That's a good comparison. It's like a lot of Anthony Nelsons, mm. but but not stylistically, just in terms of grade. I think it's a lot of. There's a real balance of things as well. Like, if you want like good but unlikely to be great players, like yeah. I, I think like Sam Williams is going to be a good defensive end at the NFL level. Like, yeah. probably won't be like an All Pro or even a Pro Bowler. But if you want like a average to above average starter, good yeah. player. You know, Isaiah Thomas you, is the so same. So you can fill your you can fill your roster out with these type of guys. Yeah, I think I think that I think this is the crucial thing is that the Panthers are really and this is really the, the point I would like to leave everyone with is the Panthers are effectively faced with a choice of two things. They can either take a guy at six and hope he becomes a franchise cornerstone, or they can trade down and fill their roster out. Like yeah. those that's kind of the option is do you draft five guys or six guys on day two? You know, do you turn the sixth pick into the twentieth pick, the fiftieth pick, the seventieth pick, and the ninetieth pick, say? And you draft four guys, one of whom you hope becomes a, you know, a very good starter. And you'd hope the 20th pick is a very good player. But you get three more shots of players you hope become starters. Um, 
and and I think that really comes down to is there someone you love with the sixth pick and is there an offer you would take for to trade down like you can't make people trade up with you you you, you know you can't go to to, to to the GM of the Packers and say, give us, yeah, yeah. give us both your right. first round picks and your second round pick now. I, I, I think I think the draft network machine, you know, the the, the mark draft machine or everything that you know the people that, that people use the PFF draft machine, whatever it is that people have used over the last few years, I think it has kind of warped people's reality in terms of what you can do on draft night. Yeah, you can't force somebody to draft with you, you know, well, to trade with you. I'm sorry. You can't force anybody to trade picks with you. You just hope that they will. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, what good teams do is they set their board and they just wait. Yeah. And either you get a call that offers you value that you think is commensurate and you take it, or you don't and you draft a player who's the top of your board. And, right. you know, if I can't remember, was it the, um, the 49ers who talked about, like, knowing Kittle would be there in the fifth round? Yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. As Adam yeah. Peters was talking about, like, oh, when you like, I would say that is bad draft strategy. <laughs> like, like it might work in that one instance, but yeah. that's how you get burnt and end up going, oh, damn it, that guy went five picks before us, and we had him graded like two rounds ahead of us. Yeah, because you're yeah. like, you believed he would be there at pick one fifty, and so you didn't take him at pick one forty. Like, right. You, know, you if if the only way to have continued sustainable success is to just have a have a system and stick with it. Yeah, and, and not to panic, and not to get desperate. Like, do right. not do not trade up when your board <laughs> tells you you shouldn't, and yeah. do not draft someone when your board tells you you shouldn't, and don't trade down when your board tells you you shouldn't. Trust right. your board, stick with your board, trust your evaluations, and just go out there and and do what the board tells you to. Like the draft will always be really stressful for teams because you do not know what everyone else is going to do. Right, but ultimately, you almost have to get to this point of like peace of mind of like we've done our work, we know what yeah. that board looks like, we can't control what other teams do. Yes. We trust that we are at least going to get decent value for our picks, and if we get the right trades or the board falls the right way, we might even get more than that. And the issue is, is with the Panthers in the situation they're in, they kind of can't. A decent draft is not necessarily what they need. They, yeah. you know. There is a there is an urgency in the front office and coaching staff that can lead to bad decision making. And what yeah. you actually need is someone. And ultimately, this is probably going to have to be Scott Fetcher if he can do it. But to be the guy who goes, this is what we're going to do. This is the process. We've we've done our evaluations. We're not going to panic. We're not going to reach. We're not going to, you know, start trading future picks to get back into the third round to draft someone. You know, we are just going to trust our board. And sometimes your board tells you that you should trade future picks. Like, right. Like, if you if you know, if the Panthers think that Malik Willis is the greatest quarterback prospect who has ever lived, trading yeah. next year's second to move up two picks to take him is not ridiculous. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is if you just think he's decent but you desperately want a quarterback, doing that is terrible. It, it, it's, it is. It's about trusting your evaluations and going and acting as well. I will say this: for as anxious as I am for Thursday to come. That part I'm not concerned with is the Scott Fitterer and understanding the board strategy. I think he has that. Oh, I think I think he has that. I think whether he will be the loudest voice in the room is the bit I am slightly that's, more. Yeah. Yes, that's my concern. My concern is is whether or not his his 
board savvy will be allowed to take over the, 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 the draft room that night in Carolina because I fear that Matt Rule's needs might overweigh what he wants to do. And, you know, that's that's really what we're waiting to, to see, you know, on Thursday night. It's just kind of who is this team now? Like, who's kind of running the front office and, you know, and making these decisions? And I think what happens at six, it may not tell us everything, but it's going to tell us a lot. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. I think if it's a Kenny Pickett pick, you know, then it's obviously Matt Rule, you know. Um, even uh, probably picking quarterback in general, it's probably a Matt Rule type thing. Yeah, and, I think. And, and I don't want that to be something that, that really materializes because I think that ultimately hurts us, you know, in the future. So I, after going through this, and then we've gone through this for weeks now, um, huh, man, you know, like, I, I still don't know. I mean, I, I thought I was ready to say something really profound, but I can't. I don't know what the right thing to do will be on Thursday night. I do know that there are, you know, multiple scenarios that I'm really comfortable with. And, and so I'm just hoping that one of them happens. Um, what, like we mentioned, you know, just to kind of recap before we close out, there are four players that we can pick at six that I could walk away and say, you know what? I think we're better off because we picked them. And that's Icky, Charles Cross, Malik Willis, and Neil. If we pick one of those guys, I would walk away proud that, you know, that we got pick six right or we can at least be excited. You know, and I think the excitement would come with the Malik Willis situation. Yeah. Um, anything outside of those four, I want to trade back and see what we can get done with the assets that we pick up in the trade back scenario. Um, edge is something that we could do if everything just, you know, goes to put, you know, in the first five yeah, picks. But I really want one of those top four or trade back. And those are really my two most optimal scenarios that I'm looking forward to, to seeing happen. Yeah, I think I think if I was if I was someone in the Panthers draft room, I think my my mentality at this point in time is okay, explain to me why we shouldn't trade back. Like, you know, yeah. you know, there are players who I could be talked into. And ultimately, you know, I think it's one of those things where, I, you know, as I said a lot last year after Panthers draft, is like the Panthers took a lot of players last year who I could be talked into, but was not necessarily in a position that I needed to be talked out of them. Yeah. Like, you know, you know I had a lot of, re you know, I was not the biggest fan of Terrace Marshall Jr. I, I, yeah. I you, know, you definitely weren't. I remember that. No, no, but it's one of those things where, like, yeah. I can see if you really believe that these flashes can become consistent. I, I, yeah. I can see there are picks where, like, I just do not, I, I, I do not think there is any possibility of talking into them. Not that the Panthers yeah. have made recently, but like, they're, they're, those picks exist. Yeah. But like, I think there are, I think there are lots of picks the Panthers have made, and I think there are lots of picks the Panthers could make for the sixth pick, where yeah. I could be talked into them. Like I yeah. think, I think there was enough on tape that you could convince me that that is a worthwhile use of the pick. Yeah. But I don't think there is anybody with a sixth pick that I think I would need that, that I I think is definitely worth it, and someone would have to talk me out of taking. Right. Um, I think there's yeah, there's lots of guys who have 
whose range of outcomes include being worth the sixth overall pick. Yeah. Um, but but there's there's no one who I would be banging the table for at six. I can respect that, you know, because I think that's ultimately where we are, right? You know, I think, you know, we know we need a left tackle, so we're just kind of hoping that one of those top tackles fall our way. It's not because I think anybody in the fan base is like, has watched that particular tackle all year long or for the past two or three years. It's like, I can't wait until I get a chance to pick that guy. And now here's my chance. I think anybody would be lying if they said that they were hoping and wishing two years ago to get Evan Neal, you know, Equinu or Charles Cross. Um, same thing that goes with the quarterback room, right? I think the guys who are considered the top of the quarterback draft right now aren't guys that we've been looking forward to getting for two or three seasons, right? You know, like no, no, it's, like, like yeah. next year, next year there are <laughs> definitely QB prospects who people are already kind of really Talking anticipating. About, yeah. 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 I and so I think if the Panthers, if the Panthers knew that they had time to wait, if Matt Rule was in year two, yeah, I think for sure he would wait on one of those guys and just pick a tackle or do trade back or try to build a roster now to set up the team to be ready for that guy um, or one of those guys. Because I think you know, honestly, when I went and looked, and this, I was doing this yesterday, and it's not to get into twenty twenty three. I'm gonna focus on twenty twenty two right now, but you know, but I literally saw about three quarterbacks yeah. that I would have ahead of any quarterback this year. Certainly that I could I could I could reasonably expect could be graded ahead of it. I think there's um Stroud, there's Bryce Young, and there's the Fresno State guy, um, yeah. whose name is escaping me. But like there are, again, not to get into twenty twenty three, but I think that's the thing is like there are teams that are going to draft quarterbacks this year because they need quarterbacks, not because yeah. they love the quarterbacks on the board. Right. Um and I think this is, the, you know, we talk about macroscopically, this is what makes last year a little bit confusing, is that last year was a good, you know, like, don't be wrong, maybe the Panthers evaluated all of them and genuinely just did not like the guys who were on the board. Like, they just did not, yeah. Mac Jones and Justin Fields, they just did not rate. And that is absolutely fine. There is no point going, playing this retrospective game of you should have done this, you should have done that. But right. I, I, I think it'd be, it's hard to, to really sort of go okay, there's definitely a better quarterback on the board of six than there was a 10 or was with the seventh pick last year or eighth pick last year. Eighth pick, yeah. No, no. I, I mean, honestly, I know I've seen some people say that they believe that Malik Willis would be QB3 last year. Um, I I can Maybe. see why they would say that, but then at my, in my mind, I really thought Justin Fields could have been QB1 last year. And so there's no way that I can really like genuinely believe that I can see why they would try to argue that. But in my mind, I'm like, nah, it's just, he didn't, he wasn't able to show you enough, you know, playing where he played and, you know, doing the things that he did, you know, it still wasn't enough to, to move him ahead of somebody like Justin Fields in my book. Yeah. Personally, um, same, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I get that, I get, you know, like every year, you know, draft analysts and this, this is the people, this is the thing about the draft business and that people probably need to pay attention to, you know, like we do the scout and the culture thing. Um, you know, you, you know, are excellent researcher, you know, very analytical and you know, we just doing it in earnest because we're focused on one team, right? Yeah. We focus on what makes the Carolina Panthers better. When they look at the broader NFL draft scouts and those people who do this for jobs and money, they need people to be excited about certain yeah. people. You are, right? you, are, you, are, you are literally selling hope is yeah, what you are doing. Hope. 
Yeah. And I think folks need to understand that. That's why, you know, what we're doing is a little different than what um, what you'll see other people's doing. And then that's why your list in terms of who you think are great prospects is go are going to be different from what the NFL network and ESPN and, you know, draft network and all these other people, PFF and what they're going to say is because they actually got people on payroll who actually have to sell you hope and they're selling it to the, to the broader NFL audience. We're just focused on what we think can make the Panthers better. We're, and so everything is in context of that. We're trying to sell you cynicism instead. Um, yeah, <laughs> cynicism versus hope. But I, nah, I think there, I, but I think there is a bit of that as well. It's the bit of right. like you know, macroscopically. I think one of the issues the NFL has in evaluating prospects is that you know you have lots of coaches who ultimately, in part of the reason why they're there, or at least what comes along with them being NFL head coaches, is quite a lot of self belief. Right. Um, and if you see a really talented guy, you think I can develop him. I, I can be the coach that fixes that guy. Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately, you probably can't a lot of the time. Like, you know, I, I think there is, that you know, if you talk about, like, biases, as well as the NFL draft media selling people hope, there is also the bit of NFL coaching staffs, tr like, overestimating their ability to make hope materialize into production. Yes. Like, you know, you see the really talented player and you think, oh, yeah, no, we can fix him. Right. Rather than going like, okay, how often do teams actually manage to fix these things? Like, let, let's yeah. look at players who had similar flaws and like, how yeah. often did they actually fix those things? Yeah. Um, and I think they often NFL teams really overestimate their ability to fix all the time. issues with players. All the time, all the time. I mean, and 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 what people don't really realize about this whole NFL thing is that truly special prospects don't come around every year, right? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, for years like 2022, you know, every year there's talent. You know, every year there's talent, but every year isn't the same in terms of what you're going to be able to draft. And so in the years where you don't have elite talent, then it's all about projections, which basically makes every guy a gamble. You know, yeah. and you know, and, and so you're doing that in whether the guy's elite or not, you know, it's still going to be a gamble in terms of how they project at the NFL level, but probably more so in 2022 than any other year because um, still very good players and still some of these guys are going to become really good players, but knowing who that guy is, is really hard to know, you know, because so many guys look similar on tape, you know, nobody really stands out. So somebody's going to get lucky, you yeah. know, you know and, and, and the best way to get lucky, frankly, is to trade down and take as many swings as you can. All right. Hallelujah, man. Like, I, like I'm with it, you know, like, and, and, you know, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm always with it. Like, I'm, I just, I knew going into the season that, you know, like going to, to the off season, you know, that we had the number six pick and, you know, the frustration as a fan, you know, like it makes you just want to just like, you know what, I'm tired. I'm tired of not having a left tackle. I want one. You know, if you're a quarterback person, you know, like I'm tired of not having a quarterback. I want one. Um, but I believe in building teams through the draft. You know, that's part of the reason, you know, why I wanted to, you know, to do the show with you, you know, and, and it's to talk about that, you know, it's talk about getting better, you know, through drafting the guys that's going to set the culture, you know, for this team. And I believe it's better to do that than to, you know, try to go out and, and buy teams, you know, although that works for some too, but usually, you know, those teams that are buying players to take them over the top, are buying players to add to players that they drafted, 
And, yeah. and, and, and if the Panthers really want to get better, they need to draft guys that can play. And in order to do that, you need to take as many shots as possible at getting those type of guys. And you got to get more picks to do it. Um, I didn't want to trade out of pick number six early on because I just wanted to lock in that guy if that guy fell to us. But at the end of the day, I want more picks. My 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 projection for doing that was to trade away some of our current, you know, um, tradable pieces before they were untradable through restructures. I wanted to do it that way, but that probably isn't happening now. So and and so we have to look at, you know, what can we get for pick six if we can get anything for pick six. And so if we can do that, that probably should be priority number one, um, unless 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 unless. Not you, not me, not Vincent, not anybody. The front office, if they love a guy at six, they should pick him. And, and they should be able to stand on that and easily tell us why they did it, and we should believe them. Yeah. Like, I think, I think that's where it comes down to. If they do that, I'm 100% with it, regardless of who the guy is. If they can't do that, you know, then, and they can get a, and they can get a trade, then they should trade. And that's where I'm at with it. And honestly, that's how I'm going to close it out. I don't have any other thoughts. No, that's everything for me too. Yeah, I don't have anything other than, you know, wishing us luck, you know, over the next seven days. You know, hopefully by the time next Sunday comes around, we're going to be a better football team. It's almost a no-brainer that we will be. I just hope that these guys make the most of what we have to work with. Um, it's not an easy year to get better in terms of having picks but they can figure out a way. And so it's on them. That's what they get paid millions of dollars to do. Um, we get paid for nothing. <laughs> we don't get paid at all. We just have to sit back and watch. We pay them in hopes that they can turn this into something that we want to watch. And so, um, you know, that's through our fandom and that's through our support. And so uh, I'm just eager and hopeful that they can do that. But that's all I got. Um, Vincent, you got anything else? See you on the other side. See you on the other side. So, as always, if you've made it this far with us, you know, we're almost home. Um, we're going to have some more shows after the draft, potentially. Um, but this wraps up every position group. Uh, very talented group. Um, very excited to see what we can come away with. Um, as always, you know, please rate, review. And if you haven't already, subscribe. Um, more to come. You know, but if you want to talk about anything that we discussed on this episode or any previous episode, um, please reach out to us again. I'm at Panthers Culture on Twitter. Vincent is at B Richardson 444 on Twitter. We open to conversation. We enjoy doing that with you all every week. Appreciate y'all. Peace. Bye. Bye.